listening to the bomb hole. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. Gonna slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On the big, nice burgundy snowboard. All right, we're at it again in the booth here at the Bomb Hole, which is presented by Pub Beer and Liquid Death. Now, first of all, Stony Buds, how we doing, my dog? So good, my dog. Always love to hear that. Soothes. It's just soothing. You it know, is. it's comforting. Now, um, to my left, we have Alex Andrews. If you guys are unfamiliar with Alex Andrews, he was a pro snowboarder for Burton for a long time. He eventually transitioned into the grassroots ambassador of Stoke for Burton, where he did a lot of stuff with retail, and then eventually the Burton team manager. And now he has a new job. He is snow product manager for Wonder Alpine, which we will talk about. A couple other quick footnotes we're going to talk about. He is the king of DIY he built a concrete skate park in his backyard with zero concrete experience, as well as a, a skate park in the back of our cabin, which we own together. We'll get into all this stuff. It's going to be a fun one. I've known Alex for a long time. It's like a brother to me. Now, double A, same way. How we doing, my dog? What's going on? I'm doing so good, dude. I, uh, I'm really stoked to be here. And fun fact, I was the first one on the show. Actually, <laughs> I walked into your garage after borrowing your truck for something, towing a trailer, and you were out of your mind saying, I'm starting a podcast, come look, and come record, and I, I recorded with you, and it's it's been, re- you know, five minutes or something, but it was really cool to see see where it's at today. You know, you got a whole new zone, and you and Eastone have been killing it, so mad props to both of you, and this is one of the coolest things in snowboarding. I Thank think, you. So appreciate. It. Yeah, that's. I kind of want to rewind to that because I totally forgot <laughs> till off air. You mentioned that before the show, but you know when we were we were thinking about starting a podcast, I was trying to figure out the logistics and the camera angles <laughs> and if it would work. And we didn't know what the fuck we we're doing. Still don't. And uh, you know, you came over. I'm like, Alex, you got to be my first guest. And we did this like little fake interview. I sh- I don't even know if I still have it. You but sent it to me. Yeah. To be like, it works. It's gonna work. And I was like, <laughs> oh my god, it almost seems like it's a real <laughs> podcast. And so. Uh, congrats for being our, our first guest and one of our first guests in our new studio. Yeah, so. it's it's amazing. Like I said, I'm just honestly, I want to start out with just saying, like, seriously, congrats to both of you guys because this is super cool. And you know, you threw something at the wall and it's sticking, and it's rad to see. And so I'm stoked, to, honored to be a part of it. I mean, there's been so many amazing people in this chair. So thank you, appreciate it. And I think uh, that that throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks is probably going to be a theme during this episode because we've both done that a lot but before we get into all that stuff i think we should rewind it to your ogden roots and just kind of paint us a picture of where you're from and what it looked like growing up as a snowboarder from uh ogden utah yeah so ogden is uh 30 minutes north of salt lake city and it's a an amazing place i i grew up there um, i'm an only child you know my parents both snowboarded, which was rare, and I started snowboarding at six. I never skied. I didn't really go to the resort a ton. I, you know, my parents worked. My dad owned a lawnmower shop, and so I did a lot of backyard boarding. Give me, and let's whatnot. give your parents quick air horn. <laughs> yeah, Chris and Maureen. They rule. Um, yeah, they're honestly my best friends. So that's pretty awesome to say. But yeah, I, I, you know, I think. Growing up in Ogden, Utah, I was a little isolated from the snowboard scene 
And so the backyard boarding was more attainable. And, you know, I was like the kid that would go to the resort like four times a year. And, and that was like an amazing experience, you know, so a lot of, a lot of, uh, going to the hills and hitting jibs and whatnot. But yeah, Ogden's a cool spot. Um, it's got one of the first skate parks built in Utah, super, still there, super old, grew up skating there. And it's got a rad culture, but it's definitely, like, an odd place, you know? I mean, it, uh, it, to explain it to the layman's, it, you know, I, it was like a drug trafficking zone, you <laughs> it's know? It's a huge drug zone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like meth capital of Utah, I think. Yeah. And People are just built a little different yeah. from O-Town. <laughs> yeah, no watching no in Ogden is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, from going to hit spots and stuff. So growing up around that, you definitely become... You know, it, it, I think people think of Utah as like this super clean, nice place, which it is comparatively to a lot of places. But definitely, O Town had some some grind to it. You know, some uh, grit. Sorry, it's a little rough around the edges. Yeah. Did you go to that middle school where they filmed Three O'clock High? <laughs> no, but I went to Bonneville, ah. and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's an amazing place, though. You're close to the mountains, and and I loved growing up there. But Salt Lake City felt so far away, you know, and just. I was a kid that, you know, watched videos and had a local shop, and that was super important in my life. Can we talk about, behind your head, you should hold up, you got a picture of yourself and J.P. Walker when this, you were a kid. Yeah, this brace, is... A, young brace face. <laughs> this photo is, I don't know where I should put it up. But It'll be on the screen, so you yeah. don't need to yeah, hold we'll it up. Well, it up. this photo is at the True Life premiere in Ogden, at the Ogden Theater um, on Washington Boulevard. J.P.'s got a broken arm, and his cornrows, I'm really young. But yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I had my mom take me there and, and it was, it's cool. You know, I, I don't know when those guys would come through town or whatever for a premiere, it was just like, that's all you thought about, you know, and had to be there. So yeah, Ogden's a cool place. And I, I really think it gave me a lot of who I am today and, and drive to want to like be like kind of leave there almost in a way, you know, I still, my parents still live there and I go there all the time, but it, it was like this place where I was like, I want to like escape and go go to Salt Lake. Salt Lake seemed like this crazy place to go to, you know. So, well, I'd like to kind of throw you under the bus real quick and talk <laughs> about a uh, a basic. I don't know if you call it a hobby, um, but um, an interesting skill set you acquired at a young age. Now you you have skateboarding, where your feet are not strapped in. We all know what skateboarding is, and uh, I like to call it snakeboarding, but um, I believe you call it streetboarding. Can you tell us about this uh, incredible skill set you had at a young age? Yeah, that's a, that's actually really good to explain Ogden. You know, because <laughs> that is like I feel like <laughs> Ogden is an Ogden like, activity. <laughs> yeah, pick you, the Ogden is what got you to pick that sport. Yeah, up. exactly. <laughs> like that's what what you see is what you know. And um, yeah, I I, I uh, at a young age there's a group of older guys I see at the skate park snakeboarding, and I I. I started doing it, and it was a lot like snowboarding. You're strapped in, and you can air and grind and but spin. You, you get, how do you get speed? You got to swivel around. <laughs> you got to swivel your feet, right? You like, got to like, wiggle, kind of. Like I've the, never heard it called streetboarding, <laughs> only snakeboarding. Yeah, so snakeboards started out as just a bar, the bar with the plates and bindings, and the guys that in Ogden actually were like <laughs> inventors of this. Really, not, not like the inventors, but they really took it to the next level of hitting handrails and all kinds of stuff. But they eventually made it street boards which were plywood instead of a bar like uh -huh. almost like a snowboard honestly except for you, you, got, wiggle. you gotta wiggle but you around. gotta wiggle you gotta around wiggle with it. 
But I took that on because of snowboarding and, you know, a little cross-training at a young age. <laughs> and it was cool. I, I, um, I went to the world champion. This is embarrassing. But I went to the world championships in, uh, in California at a young age with these guys in a van. I got 12th place. I did a frontside rodeo over a box jump. Let's go. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty funny. You're at the world championships of streetboarding. Yeah. Snakeboarding. Popping yeah. toadios on the snakeboard. Yeah. Wiggle, wiggling his way into the rolling. Just <laughs> I'm glad we can get this one out Everyone's of the way. Everyone's just <laughs> wiggling around. A lot of wiggling <laughs> happened all over the place. Um, Woo. Eventually, I started bringing my skateboard and streetboard, snakeboard, to the skate park and doing both. And then... I, I quickly realized, um, you know, that that <laughs> funny thing too. I went to ninth and ninth once when I was young on the street. Where I remember seeing Seth Hewitt, and I was like so embarrassed. I was just like, uh, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I was young. I wasn't embarrassed, but I was just like, oh, he skateboards. You know, like I'm, just, I should maybe skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a perfect <laughs> little uh, full circle, dude. The uh, guys that do that stuff, though. Or did, or I don't know if it's still a thing, but it's they gotta were, still be a thing. They were gnarly. I'm talking crazy back rodeo 900s on box jumps and vert ramps, and when you go handles. down on those things, it's not like snow. You're oh, getting yeah. you're body getting destroyed. Yeah, destroyed. <laughs> so, uh, did it translate into snowboarding? Did it help at all? Yeah, for sure. Maybe I don't know. Look at my snowboarding. It, I don't know if it helped my air awareness as much, but yeah, I think it did. Um, I definitely like skateboarding more, but. Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I also was just really big into to BMX, mm -hmm. you know, BMX was a big part of my childhood, there was dirt jumps by my house, and um, that's really where I kind of, like, got into biking, too, as well, so. Well, let's fast forward into the trajectory of your snowboarding career, so I know um, at a young age, you rode for Atomic and stuff like that, and I, I just wanted to kind of jump ahead into the variety pack uh, days, so your guys' crew... You guys came on the scene hot, put out some sick videos. Tell us about the Variety Pack days. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> Variety Pack, it's so cool because all most of those guys that... Explain who it is, too, for people yeah. that aren't familiar. So Variety Pack was um, basically our crew of homies that snowboard together. And Eddie Grams became our film filmer. Uh, Tyler McLeod also was a part of it. And it was rad because... You know, relating to Dustbox, essentially, you kind of, through snowboarding, you meet you meet the right people or friends, and you're trying to do the same thing, and we essentially started filming together and hitting spots, and it was really cool that they actually brought me into the crew. It's kind of a funny story how that how that happened. I, I, met, him at a, I met Eddie at a party in Salt Lake City at 16, and he was like, oh, you know where that, it was that Lava Hot Springs down rail, the low mm -hmm. one. He's like, you know where that's at? I was like, yeah, I know where that's at. And the next day I took him there and we got busted and we ended up going to a rail in Ogden and that was my first time filming for him. But I didn't know the guys at all, you know, just a little bit cruising around Brighton. So essentially that's how it came together. But yeah, Variety Pack, we, we, we were chasing the dream, you know, we want, I, I know we all wanted to be pro snowboarders and, and filming in that whole process was something we enjoyed together and having the crew was so important and hearing the dust box kids talk about that. It it's cool because that's where I came from and I'm still best friends with most of those guys today, you know? And so it's super important to have, have that crew. Um, we, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say those friendships that are mended and, you know, 
through through the bond of filming and battling and and the, a lot of times lifetime lifetime long friendships. Yeah, and and the, the you know we would travel and look up to videos. I mean the the people ahead like not ahead, but you know we were watching people videos and videographs and all these things and super inspired by a lot of local guys too, like Cooley and and so we were chasing chasing that. You know, it was almost like yeah, we want to do this too and. And it was cool because we were going in the backcountry even, and and those videos were really, it was a fun time. And mm. going, to, I don't know, just you guys know the whole process of going to spots and traveling. It's it's a blast and pushing each other, helping each other, and we did that. And a lot of my buddies, Sean Black, and and some other, the whole variety pack needs a big old. Area. Yeah, yeah. A lot of my friends from that crew ended up doing awesome stuff. You know, so it it's the evolution of how that can go for other people. But yeah. Well, since we have about 7 zillion uh, bullet points to talk <laughs> about, uh, I, I kind of just want to jump right into that kind of breakout moment or that, that kind of the moment where things change for you. The, I mean, this is the most standout moment for me. It's, it's the day that Jeremy Jones cold called me while I was driving. I've always looked up to Jeremy, JP, Seth, the whole Salt Lake crew. Um, I didn't know Jeremy. I was on flow for Burton. Not even really flow, just got boards from the rep. And he literally called me as I was driving. I think Sean Black was with me. We were going to a spot, and I was shaking head to toe. He's like, hey, this is Jeremy Jones. And I was just like, what? So I like pulled over. I didn't say what. I was just like, hey, what's up, man? You know, <laughs> pulled over and... And he asked me to go on a trip for Burton the next day. And that was by far, like, the moment where I was, I was like, man, Jeremy Jones, like, recognizes me and my snowboarding, and he's stoked on what I'm doing. This is, it was a huge moment. And it was, it was that, that moment that I, I was like, okay, I think I can do this snowboarding thing, you know. So that, and I went on the trip, and it was, it was sick. And from there, Jeremy's been such a influence in my life still to this day. Did you already ride for Burton? Yeah. yeah, like, I basically worked at a shop in Ogden. Um, in Ogden, I, I was, like, a blindside kid. Blindside, it's not, you know, RIP. It's no longer around. But it was Milo or blindside, kind of. And blindside was my shop. I had a bunch of mentors there. Super cool. Shout out to all those guys that really helped me, brought me under their wing. They're just older friends that would take you snowboarding and whatnot. And that's cool because I think about that now, and I'm, like, 13, and they're 20, and they're like, yeah, hop in the car, come with us, you know. It's almost a little sketchy. Yeah, but it's eventually, <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it was for sure. I remember my mom dropped me up one time and, like, homie's smoking a cigarette out of the car. She's just like, shit. Yeah, who, who are you going with? Yeah. What's going on here? But I, I, I knew that, like, being a part of a shop and working at a shop was a huge, a, a, a way to get involved in snowboarding and meet the right people. And I enjoyed it, too. I loved selling snowboards and that culture and and, you know, I, I would even buy the videos for the shop and all those things. But from there, I was snowboarding every day. And Josh Fisher, after Atomic, whatever, I, I Josh Fisher ended up um, flowing me some boards as a sh just a shop kid. Mm -hmm. And I was filming and, you know, kind of showing him my footage and whatnot. And then he was sending it to Jeremy. Mm. And then that's how Jeremy mm -hmm. kind of saw my stuff. Yeah, so. I was just curious, how does a guy like Jeremy all of a sudden be like, all right, I'm gonna, yeah. this is who I'm yeah. calling. That's cool. Yeah. And then just to kind of explain, once Jeremy called you, you were filming for the Burton Global video. So it just elevated you 
from kind of local rep writer, all of a sudden you're on, on a national global platform. Yeah. And yeah. that's huge. No, totally. And to have someone like Jeremy take you under their wing and really show you the ways, it, it was amazing. And, you know, I still had my crew and would film with my crew, but um, getting that Jeremy call and then beyond it, it was kind of funny. He actually didn't go on that trip, and I still didn't even meet him until uh, then he called me to ride motorcycles to Tahoe. And we rode our motor. That's the I met him at a Chevron for the first time ever. In the morning on my motorcycle, I had a 600 Shadow. I remember <laughs> that thing drive shaft. <laughs> Dude, and we rode to Tahoe, or rode to Tahoe, and 90 miles an hour, my, I was just, like, fully pinned. Like, keep, just keep up with these guys. Like, don't don't bail out, you know? So that was cool, and we went to Tahoe for, like, a Burton shoot that um, kind of, it rained and things happened, but it was really cool because I got to spend a lot of time with Jeremy and get to know him without even snowboarding involved. Beautiful. Well, one common theme of the people that sit in that chair, a lot of them I'm noticing as we've done all these episodes is that they all tend to have great supportive parents, you know, uh, and your dad, like, like you said earlier, owned a small engine repair shop and he's awesome. Chris Andrews and your mom, Maureen is incredible. And, um, you know, what kind of, how, like, what kind of support unit were they for you as a kid out of curiosity? Yeah. I, my parents are so rad. Um, Major shout out. I, like I said, I'm just, they're still like my best friends. You know, I feel like they're like the people I can tell anything and be myself. And they've always been supportive. My dad, I, it's cool to talk about because going back to the Ogden thing, my dad owned a lawnmower shop and, you know, he, he didn't make a ton of money, you know, but he loved what he did. Like, and I'd work with him, you know? And so I got to like, basically see what it's like to just be passionate about what you do mm -hmm. and not it's not that he didn't care about money but he really loved like the people and the culture that the lawnmower shop had you know i mean and I, I learned how to like communicate with people and be friendly and and hard work you know and so ha like from almost just from watching him he's honestly probably my biggest inspiration mm -hmm. in life but he it's it's not like he taught me. I just was around it, you know, and that was huge in my life because I it it drove like passion and like a lust for life mm -hmm. without needing things. Mm -hmm. But their support to answer your question was amazing because I was actually talking to my girlfriend about this last night that you know trying to be a or snowboarding in this activity you get hurt and shit happens. And when I was young, I got hurt a bunch, many concussions and things like that. And my mom would be like, what are you doing? Are you sure you want to do this? You know? And I remember being like, I want to, like, I want to do this, mm -hmm. you know? And from there on, it was like, cool. And they weren't like the people like, Oh, let's get you to a, a snowboard school or whatever. But they supported me in what I was, whatever I was doing. They just were down. My mom would, <laughs> my mom worked heavily. So there was like contests at Brighton, like the slug games and stuff like that. She'd go, I'd be see it in a magazine, be like, I need to be there this date at this time. And she dropped me off solo. Mm -hmm. And I'd go, and I remember one time I got third, and I had all this shit, like all this prizes Swag. and stuff. She pulled up and was just like, what? You know? And mm -hmm. so they were just supportive in the way that, that it wasn't like, obviously they helped me get things and whatnot, but they mm -hmm. also made me work hard for things, mm -hmm. you know? My dad would make me work hard for things. And so. Dude, yeah. I got to 
<laughs> I like going over for my birthday. We ended up going to your parents' pool and I just, your dad's like, you want to drive the tractor? And I literally just like dug a hole and like moved a log around <laughs> in the backyard for fun. That's the kind of guy I like, but one thing I got to rewind, rewind. And I remember one of the more inspirational things your dad ever said, I was walking into, you know, to paint a picture. It's kind of, it's, it's a lawnmower shop, but it's, you know, in the back, there's just a bunch of lawnmowers getting worked on. It's, it's greasy. It's like a garage. It's, it's not super fancy or at all. It's just, it's like, a, it's just kind of a, a shop, a shop yeah. you know? And he said, your dad said to me, he goes, you know what, Chris? He's like, this place may not look special to you, but God damn it, I love this place. Yeah. And I'm like, God, that's fucking inspiring. Yeah. Dude. Like, homie just loves coming and fucking grinding and turning wrenches. And yeah, it's just cool. And like so. I said, it was like, I, in retrospect, looking back, it, he, he loved the people, like the people mm -hmm. that come in. It wasn't just like this interaction of like a cell. Mm -hmm. You know, it was always like a community of people that they come and chat. And that was his way. You know, they were friends. Mm -hmm. And I learned to I learned from that. And I I I didn't realize it at the time, but I definitely took a lot from that experience. Mm -hmm. I worked there for a long time and mm -hmm. fixing machines and whatever. But yeah, my parents have been just and my mom, too. My mom is like a really hard worker. Mm -hmm. She just retired. She worked at Nordstrom's for like 35 years she grinded for me, you know, and it was hard for her. I know too, cause she worked almost six days a week mm -hmm. and I'm an only child. And so I was home alone a lot. And I think that that was hard for her, but they always, we have a, where I grew up in Ogden, we had an awesome space and you know, my dad with the tractor, I've been driving tractor since I was young. I build snow mounds to drop in and hit a box and whatever, Kid's you know. nice with the tractor. You see him, he, he knows how to work the stick. <laughs> Started at a young age. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love, I'm, I got to get a He's nice soon. in the equipment. I've seen him almost roll a skid steer, skid steer like 40 <laughs> times, but he'll get busy in one <laughs> Almost of roll one? Dude, up on the hillside of the oh, cabin, yeah. he's getting all rowdy. I'm like, dude, I don't want to have to. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, I've gotten absolutely. sketchy in the tractors before. Yep. Yeah. I don't so. think you're supposed to roll those things, eh? Absolutely not. Um, yeah. Well, that is, uh, dude, you know what? I'm going to, I want to kind of run this back and kind of hijack this topic for a second because, uh, Gunny came on and he basically, he recommended this book outliers. I picked up outliers, started reading it. And then the first chapter, the way I interpreted it, they, they basically, they study this group of Italians that are immigrants that moved to Pennsylvania and they realize these fuckers aren't dying, dude. They're living, yeah. they're living super old and they're, they drink wine. They're not particularly healthy in their diet. There's nothing that's really, and they're studying these people. Why are these people just dying of old age? You know, to give you the cliff notes and they study people in the surrounding areas. They're all dying of heart disease and natural causes. You know, they're, they're dying earlier than these, these Italian, this, this kind of community of Italians that are all living together and kind of what they, they discovered after studying these people is that their sense of the way I interpreted this chapter is that their sense of community is so strong. Uh, everywhere they go, they stop and they talk in the street. They're friendly with their neighbor. They have three generational houses with grandmothers, parents, and then grandkids, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, and, and essentially what they described is their, their sense of community is so strong that that is the, the reason why these guys are living so long. Cause they're living a good life because they have a strong ecosystem of their community. Yeah. And it's just interesting. It just, I, all I could think about is that when you're talking about your dad loving the people coming into the shop uh, and just kind of can't really like emphasize, you know, with everybody on their phone thinking they're connecting, but they're in a room by themselves staring at a cell phone. You're not necessarily having that authentic sense of community like we were at certain times in certain periods of, of our history. Yeah. And thinking back to it's cool because 
you know, it's funny. Like I used to sell riding lawnmowers at the age of like 12, like to like <laughs> old men. And they totally trusted me. Yeah. Like I'm like, yeah, it's got this, got a cup holder for your beer. This yeah. is automatic drive. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and thinking back, like my dad really just taught me how to be personable with people and, yep. and connect and have fun. And, mm. you know, he's selling lawnmowers, which is, it's funny we're talking about this because it's, it's like the same snowboards. Like we're just out there to experience nature and be with our friends and slide down the mountain and lawnmowers. It's like, you know, you're taking care of your yard and you care about it. And it's like, it's to, it's something you should enjoy doing, you mm-hmm. know? And it might sound crazy that my dad just loved a lawnmower, sh- owning a lawnmower shop, but there was so much more around it, mm-hmm. you know? And, makes sense. And yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for, I feel really grateful for the way I grew up. I wouldn't have it any other way, you know? Well, uh, so. I have a guest question from Maureen and Chris Anders. <laughs> so here we go. Hi, Alex. Mom and Dad here, longtime listeners of The Bomb Hole. We have a question for you. How has growing up an only child shaped you into the person you are today? And part B of that question, if you should have a child of your own, will they be required to wear a helmet? And will you allow them to jump off of stupid shit? Love you. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that my mom probably wrote down the thing so my dad could read it. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Good people right there. That's amazing. Um, growing up as an only child. Yeah. Big topic kind of, you know, because growing up in Utah, it's predominantly Mormon, big families, the whole deal, which is amazing. And so where I grew up, it was I was definitely like a, outcast when it came to my family's not religious and I'm an only child and 98% of people around me were not that. So yeah, it was a interesting experience and that's where my family really came in, in helping me, you know, cause I definitely was like a little confused when I was younger and my mom and dad were just always super real with me and we were good at communicating and talking to each other. And that's what I'm getting at. I didn't really ever hide shit from my parents, you know? And there, we were open with each other, and so also, <laughs> I've gotten a lot better at sharing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, any only kid syndrome going on? Yeah, no, I get that a lot. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. Yeah, there's I got some a, moments, but, but... There's improvements, a lot of improvements. Yeah, I, I had a lot of... Where I want this to go is that even though I was an only child without brothers or sisters... I had such a strong community of friends, and most of them were older. So, like I said, you know, the the homies from Blindside and stuff really took me under their wing. And, I, I mean, they would come grab me from my house, and I was young. Like, I didn't have a driver's license, nothing. And they really, like, brought me in. And so I always hung out with older people as a younger kid. And I think that's what also helped me just kind of be who I am today, you know, and a little more confident in situations and things like that. Um, but I, I, I'm stoked and it's made me really cherish my friendships and the people that I love. So being an only child. And then if I was to have a child, um, the helmet. Yeah. I, I think that's a, I, w- I would probably make them wear a helmet. Yes. The answer is yes. Cause my mom made me wear a helmet and for a number of reasons, like I said, I had tons of concussions when I was younger. So, yeah, I don't wear one currently, 
it's a choice, but I would probably be a parent. It's like you should wear a helmet. It's a smart idea. And it's a good thing to do. Part two, would you let them jump off? Oh, shit? yeah, of course. <laughs> There's no stopping them. So no. what are you, you going to do? Super down. Kids are yeah. going to be kids. Yeah. Okay, I think it's time for the pub beer crapshoot. Now, um, I see you're, you're drinking a delicious pub beer. Absolutely correct? delicious. How is that thing going down? Yeah, how is that? It's smooth. This is a night. Nice, call, I call them cold kitties. Oh, you're crushing a cold kitty. Cold, cold kitties. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you th- how many do you think you're going to put down? 15, 16 of those during <laughs> the episode? I was start with one, but we're definitely going to probably put down a sixer. Okay, love that. Love hearing <laughs> it's that. It's pretty drinkable beer, huh? It's really it's good. really smooth. Yeah, I actually haven't had it, I don't think, but it's super good. You know well, what? Hashtag cheap fun it's, beer. It's, it's a cheap fun beer. It's, you're going to enjoy it. You're right thing. up my alley. You know what I don't like is dark like IPA. Me neither. I'm, I'm all about, my dad drinks Natty Light, and so I'm all about just like a good yeah. cheap fun beer. Heavy, easy swilling. Mm-hmm. Well, beautiful. Uh, so we have a new segment of the show called the Cub Pub Beer Crapshoot, where you roll dice, and whatever you land on, you have a number of 2 through 12. Each one of those is a question uh, from our, the fine people over at Pub Beer. For example, uh, what would your house party entrance song be? Things of that nature. So, uh, I wish we all got a house party entrance song, you know? <laughs> you know a what? Theme I, song I haven't been to a party. house party in a long time. Me neither, man. <laughs> those are always the best, though. Yeah, Way better than the, the bar. The older you get, the less house parties. Like you know, what's nice though is as you get older, well, when you COVID go to a house party, the house party. Yeah, true. But people, people like you know, you, you're with adults when there's like people start bringing chips and dip and yeah. things of that nature. When you're a kid, <laughs> people just show up with a, like a cube of of cold kitties. Yeah, know? yeah. Any but sort of thing that's going to no help, food. help but all get of a your mind elevated. When you get in your 30s, everybody's bringing like you know vegetables with dip, <laughs> and all yeah. of a sudden there's you know all kinds of uh, you know, maybe I, a charcuterie board. Yeah, charcuterie. I got a beautiful artichoke dip <laughs> that I brought for you to try that's, out. With, that's with something to look forward chips. to as you yeah. get older. You get yeah. charcuterie boards. Yeah. So okay. what? I, I kind of lost you. So, I'm so you roll it, whatever number dice. you land on. We have a thing. You might have to uh, shotgun a beer. You might have to tell oh, us. There's a number of things that you'll questions. I got like a rolling thing. People hate it, but I'm gonna. The goon gear is a six. So what'd you get? Eight. Name one thing that is still on your career bucket list. Oh, that's a great question. I um I really okay. So my snowboarding's evolved a bit. I'm more into touring, splitboarding, climbing mountains. Surfing earth, riding powder, exploring, blah, blah, blah. But I still really want to do a back double 10 and a front double 10 just for my own personal. Oh, wow. Personal. Love that thing. I got a 30 pack of uh, pub beer on it if you get one. So <laughs> I, you can hold me to that. Dude, you better hurry up because I, it's going to get further and I further know, away. I know. I, I, I had a thing where I had never done a double backflip, and I love backflips. like my favorite thing to do. And I remember I went up to Brian. I was just like a couple of years ago, and I was like, "I'm doing a double backflip." And I built this jump in the backcountry, and I did it first try. Damn, it wasn't good. Like I, yeah. you know, I kind of. But you did it. G'd out on the grab, but I did it, and I just like it makes a make. I had one track, and I just left. Nice, <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a big day right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, well, one thing we got to talk about, I I love this topic more than anything. You are a horrific sleep talker oh and boy. sleep walker. Let's get into this. It is uh, almost <laughs> scary. I guy. love that because I'm the same way. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. Let me paint a little picture here. Um, so at the cabin, the Freedom Frontier, Alex and I both own it, uh, we have 
bedrooms that back up to each other, and it's basically paper thin walls. So uh, you can hear a pin drop in this place. <laughs> so I've heard so many. Like I'm not sure if he's getting mauled by a bear. <laughs> uh, one time he was trying to crawl out the window, and I thought there was somebody trying to break in. But the most common one, he had bunk beds at one point, and um, he basically would like pop up in the middle of the night, <laughs> wail his head on the bed, and like you'd hear this thud, and he'd be like, "God." Damn it. Like, wake himself up by smacking <laughs> his head. But, uh, yeah, what do you got for us on that topic? Yeah, that might come from Ogden, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just when, when uh, you're from Ogden that yeah, just happens naturally? Have, yeah. I um, Yeah, I definitely have. It actually might be a problem I should get looked at, you know, like <laughs> sleep apnea or something. But it's gotten better these days, I think. Yeah, I have uh, some, I mean, crazy, crazy stories of uh, dreams sleepwalking not as much it's more like waking up not knowing where i'm at i'm trapped i'm trying to break out of something a lot of times this one's sleep apnea but i swallow like oh yeah i'll i'll dream that i swallowed like a razor blade and it's like stuck in my throat and i like can't get out but i'm like awake like i'll be awake like trying to get it out and people have to like, calm me down and stuff. And tell you there's no razor blade in your Yeah, throat. it's the weirdest, weirdest thing ever. Wow. You're yeah. like, what the Troubled. fuck is going but on? Yeah, I've there. had a couple. Yeah, bunk beds are no-go anymore for me because I go, like, it's nice because you wake up and you hit your head and you get knocked out. Again. <laughs> yeah, so, another you know. concussion. <laughs> we have to start wearing the full face. Yeah, my, uh, mom, I might have to wear a helmet sleeping now if I'm in a bunk bed. Yeah, so let's steer clear of the bunk. My beds. wife records my sleep talking, and no I've, way, I full on like sold real estate in my <laughs> sleep and crunched numbers. And my chick was like looking at her phone, crunching the numbers, and I was right. And I'm the worst at numbers. As no you know. way. And I was like a hundred percent right on the commissions, and yeah, it was it, insane. Just fully selling mm-hmm. houses up in Park City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've like been on the bed before, um, working on a motorcycle, and oil spilling everywhere (laughs) and i'm literally like lights on like awake still think that there's oil and parts are moving around after you wake up you're still yeah like it takes me like a while to come to yeah yeah, well. one I time we, some of us do this and some don't. It's I'll tell you, it's great from a spectator standpoint. Okay. I like uh, Buds when we were in Quebec one time. Um, woke up and I believe he chugged like a half gallon of milk <laughs> or milk as he would call it, and then uh, started pounding like a like a whole thing of grapes, grapes and milk, and so um, milk exactly and. Milk. Uh, Milk. So, so he basically, and that obviously made him like his stomach upset the next day. And then uh, we had a whole Dude, it's debacle. tough on sleepwalkers, He like man. shit, like, had, 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 throw, had to throw up and then <laughs> fell down the stairs. It was a bad day for Buds. He, uh, Dude, I'm nervous <laughs> about your cabin. Those stairs are going to be a problem oh, for a sleepwalker. Yeah. yeah that, I'm surprised he hasn't put a gate up there if he sleepwalks. Yeah. No, I need, we probably need to do that. Those stairs are a problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's run back while we're on the trajectory of your career here. Um, you know, some career highlights. You filmed some incredible video parts with the Burton guys, with Variety Pack. And then let's talk Let's talk about the bisque, because I know you won some biscuits at uh, Burton Rail Days, right? Yeah, yeah. What are we talking? Burton Rail Days was dope, by the way. They, like, you were pimped out there. Mm-hmm. Like, dope hotel in, uh, sh- what's that place called? Shibuya? Shibuya. Downtown Shibuya. Tokyo? Yeah, yeah, dude. That was that contest. Oh, so sick. I went two years, but the year that I, I, uh, I got second. I actually was at the bone zone like two di- two days before, and I wrecked myself on a kink log, like full carry down the mountain, whatever. 
Then I went to Tokyo Rail Days, and they, you know, they, I'd never been to a contest where they had people that can massage you and do all kinds of crazy stuff. So I was in there, just getting fixed up. And then I really wanted to do well in it. I was like, I like the setup. I went out in the crowd, and I ended up, like, drinking a few beers and whatnot, just kind of getting loose, you know. I wasn't drunk by any means, but loosened up. And because in practice, I was, I couldn't even snowboard. Like, I wasn't even doing it. You know, Seb Toots was, like, rodeoing off the thing and, like, whatever. Basically, second headphones in, contest on, I was just, I was, I don't know. It was one of those moments where I was like, I'm feeling it right now. And it was cool. And I just kept going. And then I looked at the board, and I was like, holy shit, I'm in first. And then uh, Darcy Sharp came in and, and won it. But it was cool. I won six grand, which, you know, it's not. There's some biskies. Yeah. That's bisky. It's not, like, crazy accolade stuff. But it was fun and Really rad to win six grand in Tokyo, Japan. And hanging in Shibuya is like for the layman, it's like the model district and trendy part of town. Yeah, it's, and it's also where that, you want to be. Also, mm-hmm. at that point in time, I um, was no longer a Burton rider. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I was actually like working for him. I kind of slipped my way into that one. I was just like, I really want to go to this thing, you know. Well, one thing to highlight too is always like, you know, people want to know how I I want to know personally, like. How do you do well in, in events or how do you how do you get to that place where you ride your best? And like from what I'm hearing, it's kind of a common theme of like, A, make sure you're having fun. I feel like it's like a combination of like have fun and try hard. Yeah. You know? So it's like you're you're drinking beers, you're having fun, but then you're you're trying trying hard stuff too. Yeah, you know? yeah. And like I said, I wasn't like partying or anything. I just, you know, get nervous. Nervous in the contest. I never really did contests, so I was a little nervous, but I I just I was in like I was like, I'm in Japan having fun. The setup's sick. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to shred this thing, and mm-hmm. ended up working out for me, which was cool. And Zach Aller was ripping, and he's a good homie of mine, so it was fun. Zach Hell was there, and um, riding with those guys is always so fun. So cool. Well, let's transition into finding a career in snowboarding that isn't a pro snowboarder, because I think that you know, there's there's a lot of people that love snowboarding, but they're not sure okay, like, I, I probably, maybe I don't have what it takes to be on Mark McMorris's level and such and such, but, like, they want to be involved in the industry. And you carved the coolest lane ever. Can we, or, you know, that was perfect for your, for yourself. Uh, you found you found the lane that works for you better than any lane, I think, you know. I really appreciate that. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, even coming on this show, it, you know, someone like Mark who's, and other people have just done so much dope shit, you know. They're <laughs> amazing athletes, and it's so cool to see. I, I, For me, I I love snowboarding. I was pushing myself, but I was getting injured. And, you know, there is a point where, where you don't know if, if this is, like, if you're that guy still, you know. And I remember, actually, you were at my, my house. We were skating, and I kind of told you that I was, transitioning and you're like I don't know like you still got it you know and in my head I was like I I do internally want to keep filming and doing these things but this seems like a a good pathway for me to go down and it was honestly one of the best decisions I ever made because I essentially got dropped from Burton um which was all good no hard feelings but a few weeks later Downing called me and and want asked if I wanted to work with him at Burton and I was still young so it was a little intimidating where I felt like I wanted to give more to snowboarding, but at the same time I thought it would be really cool to have a career in snowboarding beyond actual snowboarding. And so, yeah, I, I ended up working for Burton 
doing a lot of retail, grassroots events. Uh, I traveled the world, really the U.S. and Canada, working with core shops and dealers, doing a lot of demos with boards, really just kind of getting people stoked on the brand at a personal, personable level. And I learned that from Dave, just the be yourself and go have fun and then putting out positive energy and like a lust for life and passion. And I took all that and everything I put into filming and snowboarding and I put it into getting other people stoked on, on snowboarding and Burton, whatever it may be. And that, that was cool. Cause I also learned a lot. It wasn't just like people call it like stoke guy, but for me it was more sharing like the, the love for snowboarding with these people and being relatable and going out and like, I'd take 20 dealers to a resort and buy their lift tickets and we'd go shred and just have a good time, you know? And that really, for the brand, it, it brought a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it, it, it made people attract to the brand, you know, at a, at a personable level, which was, which was cool. So I don't know if I answered your question. Oh, that's great. And, and along <laughs> those lines, um, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that Dave Downing gave you some advice that I think ties in perfectly to this. Yeah. Dave Downing is one of the, biggest influences in my life he's honestly like another dad to me yeah major shout out with the horn we need to use that thing more he he took me under his wing and and really showed me how to take like be a part of this industry beyond a professional snowboarder and he helped me tremendously basically he just told me like be yourself you know and that was the advice he would always give me when we would go do things, whatever it may be, an event or a demo or clinic. I do a lot of clinics with the reps and things like that. And he was always just like, be yourself. And it sounded simple, but I'm, now that I'm looking back at it, it's one of those things that myself, not to, I don't want to sound not humble, but like I love living in life and I mm-hmm. love this industry we're in and, and I'm grateful for it. And so just, like, being myself and, like, putting that energy out to people is is what really helped kind of shape that, that path for me beyond snowboarding, mm-hmm. like, as a profession, you know? I think that your energy is infectious. So, like, you know, that, I love that. To me, from an outsider, when you got the job as, I'm going to call it ambassador of Stoke because that's kind of yeah, what funny. it is. <laughs> and uh, you... For people that don't know you, you're the most, you have, you have a thirst for life. That's like, let's wake up, let's go build a mountain bike jump. Dude, let's go over here. We're going, oh, let's go to the top of that hill. Like there's a, there's a thirst for life that's infectious. And, um, you know, and, and it totally, that job was just the perfect, like you, through being yourself, you found a position that just kind of matched it just aligned with your your kind of you know who you were and it's such a good transition where you still get to snowboard a lot you still yeah. got to meet with retailers you still got to you know strengthen that community that you've you know kind of nourished at a young age through the lawnmower shop you know yeah. it, it hit a lot of boxes i thought it was a it was a cool transition because life after boarding is a tough one to it, figure out yeah it is and like you said the community and shops that was what what i mostly focused on was like your local core shop and that to me was what brought me up. I was a shop rat, you know, I hung out the shop every day watching videos and whatnot. So to, to be older and go to these shops and be a part of them and, and it, it, it was just full circle, 
for me in what I love, like what I love about snowboarding and community and at a, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, thanks for saying that, uh, the, what did you say, the infectious or something, but yeah, yeah I, I don't, I've thought about it because people have said that to me a lot and we all go through hard times, you know, some people harder times than others, you know, but I've always tried to just <laughs> take the positive, you know, as simple as it may be, I just am always, I'm a dreamer. Like I love dreaming yes. <laughs> and uh, not only dreaming, an understatement, like, not other crazy, not crazy, but actual dream, like dreaming of like what could be or mm-hmm. goals or things like that. And I love trying to attain those things and, and sharing that with people and, and being motivated and stoked around them. I enjoy it. I like, I like curating a fun time for people. It, it's like, even at the cabin, you know, when people come up or they want to go up there, it's like, I love and showing them a fun time, you know, and, and yeah, I don't know, at a young age, I just, I definitely went through some weird times at a young age, but I finally was just like, I, it's so simple, but like being, it's the simplest thing, but being in the moment, you know, and you got to plan and you got to take into consideration other things, but I really do try to live in the moment and, and appreciate the people around me. And I just, I'm a true believer in energy of, you know, what you put out there, you get back. Um, it's, it, I, I, I believe in it, you know, that mm-hmm. you put a positive energy out there, you're most likely going to get positive energy back. And sometimes it doesn't always work like that, but for the most part, I would say it's, it's the truth. And then the evolution of your job over at Burton, then you eventually, uh, well, first thing I want to highlight before we move on to that, you also, we should make sure if people are interested, you and Lauren Brinton, who's the man, uh, you guys worked on a project called Snowboarding's Not Dead, which I believe lives on Vimeo. Mm-hmm. And you guys cruised around and highlighted these, you know, you went to local shops and, and kind of like breathed some fresh air into the snowboard culture. Yeah, that was so cool because Downing, you know, I told him I had this idea and he was like, let's do it, you know. And so he helped me get that going. I, I um, brought on Lauren Britton, who you said is a good friend of ours and filmer, amazing person. Love you, Lauren. He helped film it, and yeah, we traveled around. My idea was just basically, I, you know, being from Utah and going to North Carolina, like I didn't realize how sweet the snowboard scene was there, and they have a local shop, and that was new to me, and I just found it so inspiring and cool that I wanted to show the world that, like, there's places that have these cultures that you wouldn't assume. You know, nowadays it's a little more known, but so many good riders are coming from some of these places but at that point in time it wasn't really the case you know you only had a one or two so yeah going to like some you know one of my favorite ones was going to North Carolina because that's where I I met with like Luke Winkleman when he was like this big and rode there and the people were so cool and we just the shop was so cool edge of the world and showing people that these these places still exist, you know, and you need to support them if you're in the area, and and it was a fun project. It was it was really cool. We did Minnesota, and then we did New England. We did Mount Baker. Um, yeah, it was it was cool, and it was it was more in depth of you know going to the shop, filming the owner, having him tell the story and the community. And so Dave Downing has been kind of a a theme of conversation for this point in your life we happen to have a guest question 
from the man, the myth, the legend, Dave Downing. Here we go. Sick. Hey, what's up, Bomb Hole? This is Dave Downing. Um, I heard you guys got the froth puppy, Alex Andrews, in the studio. Um, so, Alex, I got a question for you, pal. Um, what's your favorite project you've worked on? I know you're a pretty handy guy, and uh, just want to know what your favorite project or thing you've ever built with your hands. Love you, buddy. Take care. Dude is so dope. Downing's a man. Yeah, he rules. Great question, Downing. Hope you're doing good. He's been fishing a lot. He catches huge tuna. He got a boat. He's crushing life. That homie crushes life. And he catches waves like none other. Dude, right? psycho surfer. He's just the best human ever. Favorite project? I mean, I'll just dive into it. It's got to be the Freedom Frontier for sure. Building the skate park in my backyard that you mentioned, which was in Salt Lake City, and I had no idea what I was doing, was a really fun one. But the Freedom Frontier was really like the project. I mean, overall, the skate park was really cool. So that was that's my favorite project I've probably ever worked on. Mm-hmm. You know, not <laughs> not really having any idea what we're doing, but just going for it. You mm-hmm. know, the Freedom Frontier is a really special place to me, and and having that with you is really special. And and it, yeah, that's the that's my answer for that. We should let's stay on that a little bit because I think it's a it's a cool thing that we we've, we've built. And um, you know, it, it was funny. We were both looking for. Uh, we we're both kind of like we want a space, like a cabin type of space. And I was looking in one area, you're looking the other, and you know, we we put it together and we we're able to basically split it down the middle. And it's, it essentially was the same cost as a, a car payment. Um, you know, it was totally affordable. So it's, it's not that out of reach for people. I just wanted to highlight like, yeah, you know, it, like a cheap, like land in the middle of nowhere and in a cabin, like it's not like buying something in a city. So that was kind of cool. But the skate park, I mean, dude, that was, I love talking about the uh, extreme overconfidence in absolutely nothing. Like you don't know what the fuck you're doing, but you're just like, oh, we got this. And I remember the first day we're, we're like, all right, we're going to build a skate park. We committed to it. We, you know, at that time in our lives, we had, we had the time, like I, I you know, it was perfect timing, It was, you know, and we had four months to dedicate to going up there every day and tying rebar and he, he Alex gets in the tractor. And I'm thinking, we're just going to build a little, like, a small little skate park. And he pushes the back, you know, it's a horseshoe bowl corner. And and then the, the, the other end of the park, which is a six-foot quarter pipe section. And they're very, very far apart. And I remember thinking, holy shit, we, we're, we are fucking doing this. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. wild, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Freedom Frontier is so cool because going into, you know, Want to go down that wormhole? Which one? The Freedom Yeah, let's go down the wormhole. Love it. I, I I thought about this before coming on the podcast, but most, I think all of us, most of us are inspired by other people. Mm-hmm. I would say like, you know, any of my ideas or things I like to do, they derive from something that I've seen or that I'm inspired by. And, and the Freedom Frontier started, I, I would say like Tim and Hannah Eddy, I saw what they were doing with the children is, um, and I was just so inspired. I was just like, those guys, that is so cool. You know, they got this cabin or that Foster Huntington dude. He, he built like a tree house with a skate park and kind of started to think about things. And I was just like, dang, I would love to have some land or something. I don't even know what, just place to go, park a trailer. And I remember I was looking, I, I ended up 
shout out to Pat. He helped. He was my realtor. He's dope. But uh, Patrick, he I hit him up and told him and just kind of started seeing listings. And I had the area was looking in um, up by Powder Mountain in Eden, looking at land. Essentially, came across this cabin in the land. We started skating. Or I went to get the cabin. Couldn't get financing because it's a recreational property. So that's the the short of the story on that. Started talking to you. We were skating. And I remember you were like, yeah, I'm looking for land. And I was like, me too. And then it just hit me like a brick wall. Dude, we should go up there tomorrow and check. I got this place I've checked out. It's insane. And we went up there. And I'll never forget it. We went up there. It didn't take long. We were both like, dude, this is sick. And then on the way home it was just like game on like let's let's try to figure this out and you know to the people out there listening like chris said this these things like i, I know i didn't make a ton of money or anything but if i'm a dreamer it's like you just keep digging trying to figure out a way to make it work and we were able to get this place and like you said it wasn't that crazy you know to to dive in and once you have it and you start making the payments and Beyond the money thing, it's worth it. You know, the the friends and the family and everyone we've had up there over the, you know, I think we've had it for like six years now. It's just been awesome, you know, to, to bring all those people together without distraction because there's no service and, you know, kind of go back to almost like the old school ways of just hanging out with people. And so, yeah, the skate park, I remember we got the cabin. We, I had the skate park in the backyard, so we were like, and I just started going for it. And had no idea how I was going to pay for that shit. I was like, I can't afford this much concrete, but we're going to start digging. And, yeah, I mean, we kind of went from there. But I don't know if you want me to go down the wormhole. Well, there's <laughs> there's a lot there, but I think there's maybe maybe in the fact of just the the, like, timing of it, too. And I think, you know, going up and putting all of your energy towards something, it, it was – it was incredible too. Cause at the time for me, I was going through a breakup. I was trying to quit drinking. And you know, one thing during that, right before we started that I was like having, I had a drinking problem, I had a drug problem. I was like, I need to fucking quit this shit. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'll bet, you know, I, I was like, Alex, I'll bet you something I can quit drinking for a year. And then we, we landed on $300. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like uncomfortable in your own skin feelings of getting sober and having that like space to, we go up, we grind every day, we'd be covered in dirt and, um, and like, there's no cell phone service. And it just was like the best therapy. It was just like, all right, I'm just going to take all this angst and weird energy and we're just going to build this fucking thing and figure it out. Yeah. And honestly, like, you know, I wanted to say this, but owning that with you, like I, th- I, you know, I've had some people like, how's it owning a, owning something with Chris or whatever. And, it's been amazing. Like you're an amazing person and we have similar ideas on what we like. And I have no regrets in like the freedom frontier and what it is. It's, it's so cool, you know? And, and so that, you know, our time up there building the skate park and mountain bike stuff, rope toe, it was super fun. And I know, you know, you were in a darker place in your life for sure. And that was, it was, it wasn't like I was betting you like, to like piss you off or something. I just, I wanted to see, help you. I know that you're a, I'm a pride, you're a competitive prick. I'm a prick. I I thrive off of that prideful competition. Love love competitions. I was like, I'll bet you can't go sober and shit. 
you you did it yeah. and it was amazing to see and i paid you yep. <laughs> and, and it still, wasn't just a year you never had another drink right? yeah it's we're Since almost then. five years now so yeah and it's Ooh. it's been awesome and it started from give yourself an air horn but yeah give yourself the super air horn we haven't done that oh. <laughs> we'll save the super air horn i don't know if I'm I, I got at. a patreon question for you guys mm-hmm. uh from brian latang you guys did the cabin report, and people were pretty excited about that. And his question is, what are the chances the boys get together for some more episodes of the cabin report in the future? Hmm. Great question, Brian. Go ahead. I would say it's not out of the question. I mean, you never know. You guys you guys got this going on. It definitely takes time to do those things, I'll tell you that. It, the years that we did the cabin report, shout out to Lauren. He also filmed that. Uh, we <laughs> It was a grind, you know, like in a good way, but... It's it definitely takes work, but yeah, we can, I don't know how many of those did you guys put out? Uh, three. We put three episodes out, um, and then it ended up being a forty. I think with commercials or no, an, an hour, a half hour long show on ABC, X Games World of X. Sick. So, um, you know, you know, it's a funny thing to think about about that. It was really fun to conceptualize a show. And uh, basically, be like we're gonna, you know, we're, we're building this DIY cabin. Like this is way more interesting than watching, you know, the the stuff I see on HGTV. Like <laughs> in in my head, I was like, is this is gonna go? Like yeah. we're we're gonna we're gonna put this out, and then like we're gonna make a TV series. And it, what what I realized quickly going into that, like the amount of back end work of you know paying for a filmer the whole time the amount of hours of footage with Lauren Britton did an incredible job but there's there's a lot of moving parts into producing a show and and going back to what you're saying earlier you know like throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks like we went after it we made a three-part web series and it ended up being a 30-minute tv show and but in which was it was awesome how it worked out but in my head i, I was like we're gonna we're gonna make a fucking tv show this is gonna hit mm-hmm. and, and it didn't hit and, yeah. and it didn't really hit like it's awesome to know that he liked it but it didn't get a crazy amount of views it got it got some good views but it wasn't in you know i thought we were gonna maybe like <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like the big. podcast or something. You know, you thought, like, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to have, like, Well, I think snowboarding things. and skating is just small, mm-hmm. so it's hard. Like, people like him and in our industry loved it, mm-hmm. but it's just not the biggest yeah, pond out true. there. But going back is that, like, you know, we've landed on the podcast now, but we've been throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks for freaking 100 years, you yeah. know? I feel like me and Combined, Chris are all like, three of us together <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. 100 years. We've yeah. thrown a lot of shit at walls, Yeah, you know? yeah. That's, a, that's a fun topic. And I don't know, just to... Re- rewind to the cabin real yep. quick but yeah that that place it i don't know it's just cool to have a space where you can be creative and and bring together ideas and people and i i'm really really proud of that place mm-hmm. honestly and you know it's nothing crazy you know you saw he yeah, went up I yesterday saw for the first time it's it's wonderful though it's there's, definitely something really special there's rat shit around there's, there's rattlesnakes rat like, on the windowsills there have, yeah. i think the moment we all left they come back out and it just turns into rat shit <laughs> totally <partying> in there <laughs> totally but there's nothing you're gonna do it's a cabin no, man there's cabin, rattlesnakes yeah. yeah let the snakes in they might kill the rats yeah um but yeah building that skate park was like a big undertaking it I was bet, dude it looks like a skate park you'll find at a city a city yeah. skate park mm-hmm. and especially not knowing what you're doing mm-hmm. and he had a little experience <laughs> little huh? little bit you know i mean yeah we did a good job for what it was for sure i'm not like mad at it at all but like i mean all- shit look at burnside right those guys didn't know what they were doing yeah but it's fun. It's fun. It looks, it's fun looks pro to, to me. It's fun to push yourself and try to try new things. You don't know what you're doing and mm-hmm. go for it, you know? And so the skate park was, 
one of those things. And I don't know if you want me to tell a story about how we got the concrete, but we could dive into that. Yeah, let's get into the story of the concrete. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, we started building the skate park. I had no idea how I was going to pay for this. I was honestly looking at you like I might have to take a loan from you for this thing. And I had, ca- I had mentally set aside the money. I was like, yeah, we're, <laughs> I, I know what we're going to spend. This is going to suck. <laughs> I our, our driveway up to the cabin's a little steep and crazy. It has some switch switchbacks. So I was telling Chris, we, we need to figure out if a concrete truck can even make it up here. Me and Chris would go up there almost every day during the week, during the summer, um, to work. So I called Geneva Rock, which is a concrete company here, one of them, and got a hold of the guy. I was like, hey, can you come up here and peep, peep our zone to see if a cement truck can come up? And he's like, yeah, I can drive up. So he came up. Me and Chris are wearing, we're covered in dust. We're dehydrated, probably talking shit to each other. We're, we're welding that coping in the back. Oh, end. yeah, welding the coping. And it's, it's a dirt pit. There's no concrete anywhere. So, yeah, yeah continue. continue. Oh, you're just in a big sand pit, basically. Yes. Yeah. Rattlesnakes. This guy pulls up, and his name's Eli. He He's just like, what? Like, what are you guys doing here? This is so rad. And I'm a little, like, kind of just like, can you tell me if the concrete – he's, like, wants to talk about the cab and the whole thing. I'm like, can the, can the concrete truck come up the driveway? Like, I, that's all I really want to know. And then – we end up talking to him. He's super cool. And, you know, Chris at the time had won the gold medal for X Games Real Snow, Real Street. And so we were kind of talking. And he was like, oh, stoked. And I was like, well, dude, here, like, you think we can get a discount on concrete? And it kind of ended that. It was just well, like a joke. Well, one you know? one side note, I did show him the pilot to the show. So, oh, yeah. So the pilot, he was like, oh, this is going to be pilot sick. to the cabin report. The pilot to the cabin yeah, report. Yeah. So he was like, oh, this is going to be cool. Just yeah. continue, though. Yeah, and so, long story short, he left. He said we needed some steel plates to cover the river zone so the cement truck could make it. All good. And then, yeah, he called me or you. I can't remember, but Eli, called. we gave him our contact. He called us, and basically, it was super vague. It was just like, hey, order concrete. Like, we'll figure it out at the end. For a layman like me, what kind of bill would you guys be looking at if you were going to pay for that yourselves? <sighs> Probably the 25. Yeah, 20-ish. 20-something. 20 in concrete, you know, which is a lot. Two duffel bags of loot. Yeah. yeah a bunch of biscuits. <laughs> That's two a bags. Lot of biscuits. Yeah, the, the one thing I, I, I'm going to just, the way I remember it, and this is our memories, but I remember I talked to Rob Pikus, and he was like, look, since since we do such a big volume of concrete, you can put it on my tab. Yeah. And that was, so so you'll get a cheaper rate. Since Rob Pikus is the owner of Pikus Concrete here in Utah, his kids are into action sports. His kids love skating. They love snowboarding. He loves all that. He loves mountain biking. And we kind of, bef- he came up to the cabin. We, befriend- we befriended Rob Pikus. Yeah. And so at that point, we were. But the Geneva guys introduced the, the us. G- exactly. Geneva you know. Geneva Rock introduced us to his, their good friend, Rob Pikus. Pikus was going to give you that volume discount. He was giving us a big <laughs> yeah. volume. Since yeah. he does millions of yards of concrete. Concrete, yeah. his price per yard is much cheaper than a person that does no volume. That only does one scale. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we ended up pouring um, the whole thing, you know, not like at sections at a time, but we did it pretty quick once we got the forums up and major, major shout out to all the homies that came up and helped. Yes. Chip, Z, Ben Page. What would you do if the truck could make it up? Skinner. Uh, would heli, heli that in or what? <laughs> we were going to cross that bridge when we got to. Yeah, we were. Or you stirred and mix it We were going to get bags of concrete and yeah. be there. We'd probably still With be working mixer. on it right now. Yeah, <laughs> still be working on it six years later. We wouldn't have finished it, no. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. major shout out. Because, you know, I was telling you this yesterday, Stone, but 
what's been cool about the cabin is like when you kind of do something like that or you have something, you know, people are down to come and help and it's awesome, you know, and I really appreciate that community aspect of like, yeah, I'll come up and help. And they might not even know how to use work with concrete, but show them a few things and they get stoked. And that's what that really brought together was the skate in the skate park was having people come up and help and stay the night. It was awesome. And we would play every time the concrete truck showed up, we would put on Led Zeppelin because you could see it from down the road. And it was like our, our good, what, what our song good luck song. Oh, I just let it ri- just, rip. Yeah, yeah. Just, just Led Zeppelin. I Zeppelin. think it was greatest hits go. Yeah. Know? And the truck, like I told you, would show up most of the time at like 6 a.m., like super early. So we'd have to stay the night and wake up early. But it was epic, like cool mornings and the truck shows up and those truck drivers are gnarly dude they'll get crazy driving on mountains they don't mm-hmm. they don't care cool. they're pretty no. experienced they'll like hang the front wheels like off the deck because they're all they the know the, the weight back. yeah the yeah. weights in the back they know what they're doing with it's the load super cool and we ended up because we were pouring so much we ended up like kind of getting to know some of the drivers and it they're was so it, rad so cool um but yeah so we finished it on our last day and we were f- filming for the x games cabin report and rob pikas ended up donating the concrete to us Woo. which was insane so that man shout out to rob for that <laughs> maybe a super, he maybe gets a super air horn yeah he gets a super one that was that's a crazy story because it's like i never yeah, you never thought that was even coming no mm-hmm. I was and like, he didn't allude to it I, I remember verbatim the 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 situation is rob was at the cabin and i go rob i want to square up with you and he's like it's all good we're gonna take care of the concrete yeah. And I remember I had, I had like, I was fighting tears back, dude. Yeah. It was gnarly. I bet one got loose. Yeah. It was so cool. We ended up, I think like Chris got him some snowboard stuff and yeah, it's been pretty cool. But the, the one thing that I want to highlight on that is the unconditional giving. Like, yeah, because a lot of people give with conditions. Well, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give yeah, you. Yeah, they this, always have something in the back I need they bring but, up later. But it's like, he's like not, and what he said verbatim, and this is, I just remember this is now is he said, I don't really need anything from you, what you, you guys. I just think what you're doing is really cool, and I want to support it. Yeah, and it was like, like, dude, what? Like that was just that's true giving, right? It's there. true, yeah. unconditional a lot of people giving. Have these secret things in the back of their mind they're mm-hmm. going to want later. Yeah, and that just I think I've tried to carry that forward in my life for sure. After that happens, in some ways, you know. Yeah, and I think like with the cabin, I've tried to do that too, like opening it up to people. You know, people want to come up there and hang out. It's like, yeah, like. Come enjoy this place with us, you know. I, I, I'm not weird about, or you, weird about, like, our friends and family or, you know, we'll even have people go up there without us to hang out. And I'm all about, like, sharing that place with people because of things like that, like almost unconditional giving. Like, yeah, all good. Like, let's just enjoy this place. That's what it's for. I'm so. reading this book right now called The Seven Laws of Spiritual Success. And the third law is about the ebb and flow of giving and taking, mostly about giving. And... Basically, in the world, you give, and if basically to to get back, you got to give, and it's like a whole spiritual flow around. Yeah. And if you don't, and you only take, you're never gonna get any love back from people. Mm-hmm. Totally. And maybe you guys have done that in your lives. You've you've given and given, and here it is coming back to you. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. An- another quick highlight too in that subject is if, if you think about life and what's important and. Fuck it, let's get a little deep for a second. Yeah. But, but you know, like, a lot of times we put our, uh, myself, in, throw me right in there, but, like, you you want things. Like, it's we're a consumer culture. You mm-hmm. want to buy an item, and, like, that, and then there's some type of degree of happiness associated with a thing. But what I think as, 
especially I think with COVID and, um, you know, it, I think it, the value of experiences are much higher. The things that you can remember for the rest of your life. Like I've, and, and it seems to me that you're a person that values experiences tremendously. Yeah. Way over money. That's for sure. Like I live my life by that and experiences and, you know, not putting money first or items or things like that. And the cabin really embodies that. And also just the way I like to live with my friends and family. It's, you know, I, I love experiences. I've always been that way. And, and it is something that holds true to who I want to be, you know, for the rest of my life, even, or if I have a family or whatever it is, like, I want to make sure that I'm enjoying this time and, and, and experiences that come with it, you know? That's a great takeaway from that whole, you know, creating spaces and going on trips and making sure yeah. you take time for that. I uh, want to change gears real quickly to going back to uh, overconfidence and absolutely no idea what the <laughs> fuck you're doing um, because it's one of my favorite topics, but I've doubted you so many goddamn times where I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? This shit's not going to work. Like, and uh, prime example, the lawnmower Rope toe. Alex is like, <laughs> goes to like Yagu Valley or goes to Minnesota. He's like, dude, we need a rope toe. We need a freaking rope toe. We need a goddamn rope toe. Like this is like, I'm building one. And he get, he has this, uh, Chris Andrews has a, his dad has a lawnmower with only one wheel. So it can't drive. It's useless. But he ends up like welding this freaking mad scientist pulley wheel. And I'm like, this shit is not going to work. Good luck with that. I'm just completely doubting it. We haul it up there on like a four wheeler. We throw it on the side of the hill. It's not even our property. We bring a bunch of rails, haul them up there, and then works perfectly. And <laughs> and that's double A in a nutshell. Sometimes it's nutshell. Sometimes it doesn't yeah. work. But ninety percent of the time, it actually works when you doubt them. Yeah, you doubt. You doubt. You just gotta you doubt go for it. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> I'm all about like, I'm all about trying to. To do things, you know, that I, I don't, I'm not sure if they're going to work, but I just go for it. I mean, in theory, a lawnmower, I guess it's an engine, right? Yeah. I, it's going to spin. First of all, I want to just say I love rope toes. I, after traveling for my job with Burton and stuff, I would always, I'd go to the Midwest and East Coast a lot. So riding Trollhagen or Yagu or whatever, but rope toes are the best. You don't want to strap, constantly snowboarding. They make you a good snowboarder, you know? And so I've I've always loved rope toes. In Utah, we don't have – no one has a rope toe, so I never grew up with them, and they really help your snowboarding. Mm -hmm. Long story short, yeah, the, <laughs> the lawnmower rope toe, I built this thing. I wasn't sure if it was going to work either, trying to figure out tension and all these things. And then me and my dad actually put it on a, on a hill um, on a road, and I tried it out for the first time on a skateboard. And Chris doubted me, and then yeah, that thing worked, and then, and then that evolved into the we wanted to get more power, just because having more people up there. So bought an an F one hundred nineteen seventy five truck, and we built that one, and then that was too much mustard. I think shit the bed every two minutes. Basically. Yeah, it really? had too much power. Pulled you too and fast, and then shit the bed. It on was you. just like hard to. It had too much friction. Is this the almost. orange one and the sticker? Yeah. yeah, I like that sticker though. Yeah. It worked, but not the lawnmower was perfect because it was like it, it, it had a good pace to it. It didn't go too fast, it didn't go too slow. It was just great, but it can only haul a couple people. So, yeah, 
I don't know. We might need to look into a new rope tow at yeah, this we're, point. Yeah, we're working on that with the uh, Tow Pro guys. We used one right at Bjorn's. Yep, yep we're going to. It looked we, pretty damn efficient. Yeah, yeah, those are dope. Shout out to Will Mayo those over at really Tow Pro. Dope. He makes an awesome rope tow. Uh, we're going to get one for the cabin. Maybe yeah. we'll trade an air horn for a rope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on that note, just building things, you know, uh, rope tows, whatever. I've always loved building stuff and kind of taking on projects. So that's been a fun one. Welding, wood. All these things, I, yeah, I, I love, like, me and you, we, we, back to this, like, throwing, throwing stuff at a wall, mm -hmm. you know, and seeing if it sticks. We've done it a lot, and that goes into projects. I like learning new things. I like to, I get a ton of ideas, and I'm one of those people that I, I don't just have the idea, and it kind of goes out the window. I actually go mm -hmm. forward with the idea, even if it doesn't work out, and that's okay. That's how you learn how to fail, and. And try new things. So that's a that quick. Let's let's footnote that because if you think about everybody has things in the back of their mind of projects they want to do, whatever you can elaborate on that. However, it applies to your life, or I can elaborate on how that applies to my life. And really, what holds a lot of people back is the fear of failure, right? Like, oh, I got to get everything in order to make sure it's perfect before I start. Where you are on the full other side of the spectrum of that. <laughs> you're like, like, you know, not that you're thinking about failure, but you're, you're like, you don't know, things aren't going to be perfect in the sense that like, you don't need every little detail ironed out before you just like, you're the kind of guy's like, Dude, prime example, the rope tow for the truck. I'm like, so how are we going to build this? We had to we had to basically get the rear wheels off the ground and elevate the back end of the truck so the tire would spin, right? Mm. And uh, I go, Alex, do you have do you have plans for this? And <laughs> he pulls out a sticky piece of paper that's about, you know, two inch by two inch sticky paper. And it's like a stick figure thing. <laughs> and we're at the steel yard buying, buying steel. I'm like, that's your... That's your, that, those, <laughs> that's are, those the are your writing, but, but it worked. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Worked. So it's like, he doesn't have all of his details in a row. He doesn't have all his ducks in a row. He's like, fuck it. We're going to go for it. I'm going to figure it out as we go. And that's a great little lesson to be taken from like, I don't know if, how I'm going to build this shelf, but it's maybe not the best way to do it, but it's a good way to start. Cause start, sometimes yeah. you just got to fucking start. Yeah. I do that in. a lot, you know, where like I'll start something and the first thing might not be it, but mm -hmm. you'll, you'll see what you need to change or whatever it may be. And I appreciate that. I, I definitely should be better. I feel like I'd probably be more successful if I actually did plan it <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, learned how to do that. But i just never been that way. And also, my dad's not that way, so that's maybe where I learned it. We just kind of go for go for it. In the um, word of, words of McGruber, there's a big difference between winging it and seeing what happens. And let's see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I love that. <laughs> that's a great In quote. the words of McGruber, just tell me what the fuck. Yeah. Just <laughs> I got a Patreon question kind of along the lines of do-it-yourself stuff, and it's a little more focused at Chris, actually, but for you to answer it. Yeah, I love it. This is from Helen Wade. Mm. Big old air horn. Owner of the Stockist in Salt Lake. Great establishment. Helen Wade. Check it out. Who is a better welder, Chris or Mouse? Be honest. <sighs> Come on. You know the right answer no, to this. Kidding. You yeah. know the right Let's answer. Let's be honest. Well, you know what? It's Mouse for sure. So major <laughs> shout-out to Mouse. Uh, that's Helen's husband as well as one of my best friends and i also work with him like to agree to disagree on that uh chris is honestly a good welder though it mouse is the ultimate welder though the and ultimate i actually have mouse tattooed on me welding really yeah the wow. uh, um what's that speedy speedy gonzalez speedy gonzalez or maybe it's the Raton? other guy Ra yeah Raton. 
But uh, yeah, mouses. But Chris, you're a good welder. I mean, Chris is the same way. He likes to take. He's always all those. He routes with his the wood and stuff. You've done a lot of cool stuff, and so. Dude, the but, chandelier thing at the cabin was impressive. It yeah. like, looks like a handrail, yeah. but yet it holds a light. When I was coming on here, though, I wanted to I wanted to try to surprise Chris and do a weld off. Ooh. Oh my god! So I wanted to have like two ninety degree two by two steel, and I wanted Mouse to come in and be the judge. Wow! Oh wow! That, that would have been incredible. Just like a one bead on the ninety between mm-hmm. me and you, and see. I would if still like to have that competition. Float that bead. Yeah, is that a yeah. term? Uh yeah yeah, yeah that works right. dimes, yeah, stacking dude. dimes that's a stacking good welding dimes. that's yeah. a good welding welding terminology. is so fun for Alex it's it. more like a little kid playing with play doh <laughs> just like smearing shit all over the smearing the meter it's, it's that or like an ungodly amount of grinder discs yes oh, damn <laughs> that's a good way to, <laughs> to hide grind a bad off weld. the mess yeah to grind it down make it look smooth like you're a pro so we've been kind of hammering on the subject of the cabin aka the freedom frontier one thing before we move off of it if you're interested in what we're talking about you can go on YouTube and look up the cabin report. Uh, there's three sec, uh, three little segments and a good way to kill some time. If you're interested, if not, no worries. Now, one thing that happens every time that I go to the cabin and you go to the cabin, I feel like we say the same goddamn thing every single time. And what is that? Uh, wish I spent more time up here. Yeah. (laughs) And, and why is that? What is the effect that the cabin has on you? You think, or just nature in general for that matter? It like, again, I don't want to say simple words, but a connection, you know, a connection to nature, being away from your phone. When I'm up there, I don't even know where my phone's at. Same. It's gone. I don't, I usually can't even find it or it's left in the car. Uh, I, I usually, you know, up there, (laughs) you're talking to people. It's what you do. You, you sit and you'll sometimes do nothing. Even, you know, stare into a fire. We're talking about all the activities and things, rope toes, snowboarding, mountain biking, skating, whatever it is. But sometimes we just sit there and and wrap out, you know, play cards or or talk about things. And you don't realize that you're not doing that in your normal life until you go there. It's not that you're not doing it in your normal life. It's that you're distracted. And so it doesn't mean the same thing. It's almost like I remember things better when I'm up there, like situations or people and experiences because I'm not distracted. And I, I love that about that place. Absolutely. And I was, I've always tried to figure out why is it that when I'm driving home from the cabin or you could apply the same thing to like going camping in the woods for three days, you know, mm-hmm. why is it when you're driving home that you just feel so calm and relaxed and just centered or whatever, you know, crunchy word you want to use to describe that but i've realized such a huge part of it is a you get into like these mountain towns or you get into where the cabin is time slows down yeah all of a sudden just you as soon as you cross into this like cowboy town where it's located it's basically time just slows down everything's moving at a slower pace then you get up into the mountains where the cabin is and your cell phone doesn't work now that that huge part of that mobile stress device just being useless yeah, forces you to be present. It forces you to not have distractions, emails, phone calls. Yeah. And the, like, I, you know, not to sound preachy. And if it does sound preachy, fuck it. But I, I've just noticed in my experiences, like if you can get rid of that mobile stress vi- devices or go to places where it doesn't work, you're generally, you're going to, you're, you have no choice but to either A, have some introspection, B, be present. Yeah. C, have connection with your friends. And then just that that kind of uh, 
overall effect of nature is all just, it's huge, right? Yeah. And all those things you said is exactly how I feel. The other thing would be improvising. It's mm-hmm. fun because you're up there and you don't have access to some things, you know? So whether it's even like cooking or just, I like, I like having to improvise when I'm up there, you know, find, get MacGyver funny. on them. Yeah. Get MacGyver. And if something breaks, you kind of got to fix it up mm-hmm. some way with what you have, you know, or, and I, I like that feeling. And I, one thing that you said was, you know, time slows down. But in a good way, like uh, it's a very calm and present, it, it feels good. And that's the whole reason from the very start of wanting to find some land. And to anyone listening, it's attainable and you can do it. So I don't know. I suggest doing it. It's been a huge piece of my life and your life brought together so many good people in an authentic way. You know, um, I did some Burton clinics up there that were super cool. And, and just having all those people up there to meet and greet and you're actually connected, you know, and, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a cool thing about the, that's probably the coolest thing about the cabin. Like take away years later, are you guys still going up there with the same excitement as you were? I am honestly, I think now it's the same excitement. I'm just excited to the next evolution of it, you know, and we've built the skate park and we got some mountain bike stuff, but I'm excited to make it a little more turnkey and, and, you know, we have water. It's kind of in detail, but it, we have water and I want to make it a little nicer. Um, for, doesn't mean like have services. It just means like right now our water situation is a little crazy and there's ratchet and whatever. Yeah, You're not going to avoid that. But yeah. but yeah, just continue to evolve it, you know, um, it, it's I plan on having it forever, you know, and so I think it'll just continue to be something special that will grow in in different ways, and whether that's like building activity things or that's working on the cabin to make it a little nicer for people to stay or maybe building another thing up there that like a little I don't know yurt or something mm-hmm. you know, so just, more people can sleep and yeah, whatever. yeah, you said you had twenty two people in there once sleeping <laughs> yeah. that's awesome, <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot of people up there before, so. That's a little, that's max capacity. Yeah, it looks like it only sleeps like maybe you want to do three, four yeah. in the chair. If you throw a Granger in a chair, maybe five. <laughs> but you had 22 people in there. Granger always gets the chair. Gets the chair. Yeah. Granger yeah. gets the chair and he takes about like a 30 minute nap mm-hmm. uh, in 24 hours usually. <laughs> and he cooks an absolute beautiful masterpiece. Yeah. yeah, I noticed you guys got three Dragers up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Granger's ready man. for some output. Yeah. That's another part of bringing people together. Yeah. And then one other thing food is, is a huge facilitator of, of, connection in a lot of ways but if you go back one last thing and we could beat this dead horse for days but like there's something also about you know when you have to make your own heat you know like yeah. there's a wood burning stove it's winter it's cold as shit you got to keep logs stacked and you get home first of all you get a million ideas staring into a fire there's something yeah. there i can't figure out but ideas flow like the salmon of the capistrone when you're looking <laughs> into that thing and then you get home and you're like you just flick your heater on in your house and you're like god damn, I appreciate this. Whereas when you don't do that for a while, you're like, damn, it's 71 degrees in here. Like you don't, you're like mad that it's like not perfectly good temperature. Yeah. You know, so. I think, and this is not a negative thing. It's just a personal thing. But the, the most frustrating part about the cabin is what he's talking about. I'll get up there, staring in the fire, and the ideas are crazy. Like it's just like, I want to do this. I want to do that, at least for me. And I get frustrated because I want more time to do those things. 
it's more time. Like I wish I could, sp- I wish I could spend more time up there to, you know, build more things up there and, and, and enjoy that, that place. And we do spend a lot of time up there. I, I spend a lot more in the winter than in the summer these days. I do go up there in the summer, but the winter is super fun. You can snowmobile and, and it's just cool, especially when a storm comes in and it starts snowing. You got to shovel the deck, and it's I just like the wood fire. Just it's cool. It's cozy, and I enjoy it. But you guys yeah. get cords of wood delivered, or you guys bring it up yourself instead. <laughs> yeah, the, we got a giant cord delivered three years ago, and we're just getting to the end of it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Chris didn't know. I think it was three something years ago. He ordered something. He thought it was a certain Ooh. amount, and he didn't realize like. If, Dump truck showed up of wood. It was a I like how you call it a giant wood. cord. Like there's a cord's a certain size. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you're all. It's a giant. I, cord. I'm like, we need a bunch of wood, and then they show up, and I'm like, ten cords, nine hundred dollars <laughs> worth of wood. I was like, oh. but it's lasted us. No, it has. It was. Yeah, worth I mean, it. that's kind of great. It was but, definitely worth but it. But I'll I'll tell you, I had a great lesson learned from from the cabin, and I at one point in my life, I thought, you know, I was making really good money as a you know being a professional snowboarder. I was like, I'm gonna buy a nice truck. And I bought a GMC brand new 1500. And I remember I was stacking that wood because the, the dump truck couldn't make it up our driveway. So they dumped it at the bottom. So it was about like 10, I don't even know. It was like eight truckloads. It was you of and Ozzy and Scott. Scotty there. Arnold, yeah. yeah. And I was throwing logs into the bed of my truck. And I was so scared to dent the thing because it was so nice. I realized, like, I don't. I don't want a nice truck. I hate oh, having, I hate nice having a nice truck. Yeah. I want to be able to throw a log at the side of it and dent it. Like, that's what a truck's for. So ever since, like, I, I, I bought a nice truck, and I was like, this is not for me. This is stupid. I want to be able to dent this thing with a log. That's what a truck's for. So, I, you know, sometimes just a little lesson there for me was like, dude, I don't need nice shit. I want to be able to, I want to be able to f- destroy my shit. Yeah, let you know? the dog yeah. run around the back inside. and My throw dog throws up in the, the back, back seat yeah, all the time. No but that's the same with the cabin is I tell people that all the time that it, I, I hate to, I'm not talking down on it. It's not that it's not nice. I felt like it was pretty nice. It's it's nice, but it's also a place where like you get muddy boots or mud gets in yeah. there, people, water, snow. It's it's all good. Nobody like, cares. You know, if I if we had like some baller spot, like take your shoes off, don't do this, don't mm-hmm. do that. You know, that's what's really amazing about that place is it's not it doesn't have like have like rules or whatever. It's not like we have rules, but it's you can kind of just let loose and just mm-hmm. just be there and yeah. not be so concerned and you know, yeah, we we do. There is rat shit, and one time my lady woke up with a rat on her, in bed, which was on her. Yeah, yeah, the witches. <laughs> wow, we, we have rattlesnake debacles. We got all kinds of wildlife. We could uh, keep going, dude, but let's we, let's we change let's change gears into a favorite of the show. Amen. Video card. Love this. Now, uh, a lot on the line. You got some street cred on the line here. Yeah, this is gonna be. This is this is big for you. Is I wonder how you went about this one. This is honestly we didn't even talk about this. This is huge for you. <laughs> he does not going to talk about it in advance with you. I'd give it away. Yeah, true. But the whole thing's a surprise. If you don't get this, you might need to tuck tail and leave town. Yeah. Oh shit. We might need to shut down the cast early. <laughs> yeah, we might need to shut down the cast if you don't get this one. This could be bad. Hearts your, racing, boys. How's your confidence level zero through ten? I'm I'm afraid that I'm gonna. Like know it but not be able to say it. I'm afraid for you. That's for a that. common common thing. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go. Let's just go five. Mm. 
I'll tell you what, I'm really, really, really nervous for you right now. <laughs> Dude, too. I honestly, this is the most nervous I've been talking on this damn thing. <laughs> Beat a sweat just formed on your forehead. Okay, here we go. Easy, he says. Say I it. know, I know, I know who it is. I'm just trying to think of the video really quick. Um, well, it's Jeremy Jones. That's correct. Yeah, I know, but it's not. It is Shakedown. Of course it is. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure. I knew it was Shakedown, but for some reason I thought it was. A I'm so glad you got Queens that. of the Stone Age. I'll just name it all. That would have been yeah, really be bad. You got yourself a bomb hole cooler. Yeah. Filled with bomb hole merch. Wow. The black one. Dude. Yeah. We got some brand new socks in there, which what? are now available at bombhole.com. Dude, this thing is sick. Uh, we have uh, stickers, Dude, a hoodie, a new Raiders tank top. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Mug. Dude. Everyone loves socks. Mm -hmm. Socks are the bombhole available at bombhole.com. Anybody that has purchased anything from bombhole.com from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. That is huge. Um, also, shout out to Igloo. I, uh, they sent me a cooler that I was pretty stoked mm -hmm. on. Like it was a bigger one, but these these ones are dope for the old sixer. Oh yeah, throw a couple uh, pub beers in there, you'll be good to go. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, for part two, you guys know the drill at this point. When Alex's episode comes out, if you know what video part this is, comment on the photo on Instagram to get yourself a little prize pack. Okay, here we go. Double A, don't say it if you know it. Sick. I know. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope you use that. I like that. Damn, I kind of know my video parts, I feel like. I kind of wish you would have not given me something else. Made it a little, little harder on you? Yeah. Well, no, I I mean, dude, Jeremy's shakedown part, let's go, yeah. dude. That thing is mental. If you haven't watched that, make sure you watch it. Jeremy Jones' shakedown, Ender in Mac Dog, a legendary part. Yeah. Psycho. He does a snowmobile hill climb up a dirt hill. Yeah. Personal. He also hits a double line jump. He does, like, front mm -hmm. nine to cab nine. Tony Grove. No, it's, like, back five. Or It's a five to a cab nine. Oh, yeah, that, I like that shot, mm -hmm. though. I think. You know, I think we should maybe dive into a guest question. Love that. This is from our boy T-Bone, a.k.a. Trev Brady. Oh, yes. Here we go. What up, B-Hole boys? Uh, question for you, Double A. You know, it seems like you've always been about finding deals on KSL or Craigslist, whether it's a motorcycle, a van, a bus, a car, maybe spiffing it up and flipping it for some extra cash. I was wondering if you could walk us through how it started with a lawnmower when you were a kid and ended at your rig today. <laughs> oh, man. Trev, Trev Brady, T-Bone. Bone, hit him. Big, huge help in building out the new office. Uh, him and Mia lost in space. They uh, basically made our whole lobby and absolutely killed it, and they rule in life in general. Yeah. T-Bone is literally, literally salt of the earth person, human being. He is the best human friend you could ask for. So major shout out to T-Bone. Thanks for the question. Oh, boy, yeah. That's been the long joke is that I flipped a lawnmower into, uh, like, a into sprinter a van. Sprinter van huh? <laughs> yeah, I love, I love a good deal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at KSR Craigslist. Multiple times a day, I have like certain searches I look for, and it's always changing. Whether it's 
it might soon be a stand-up jet ski, or it could be a bunch of random stuff. But, yeah, he, <laughs> he wanted me to walk you through to what I am. Yeah, so I started out with lawnmower. Like I guess Tony used to sell lawnmowers to guys and whatnot, and then... I mean, we got like forty vehicles. We don't need to go. Yeah, through we don't need one. to go through them all. But we don't need to play by play in all forty. But yeah, I, I, I but re- I know there was a bus involved, <laughs> dude. Yep. I, honestly, we could go through so many. We're not going to. I, I promise, we'd be here a long time. But I, I really enjoy it, and it's fun. I mean, I had like four Astro vans. You know, mm-hmm. I used to buy those things and flip them. So yeah, it's something I still do to this day. I enjoy it. But now I got a Sprinter van. Give me a shout out. Come he's, on, he's not a big Sprinter van guy. <laughs> Although, thank you for having that. It gives us something to make fun of on the show. <laughs> Is that your only rig, or you got... that's my, Well, no, that's not my only rig right now. I just bought a dump truck. <laughs> yeah. Classic. A, a dump truck and a sprinter van. Bought a dump truck. I have a 1968 Dodge A100 van that's, like, kind of scooby-dooed out. Dope. Um, yeah, the dump truck's a... F- <laughs> That what, thing's insane. What are you doing with a dump truck? Um, he needed to move some rocks, so I he bought a dump so truck. He bought one. <laughs> Yeah. Dude, let me let me let me give you a from outsider standpoint wow. of this guy's. So you he talks about being present. Now there's a big there's there's being present to the point of extreme impulsiveness, and that's when you have Alexander's. Okay, so what happens is he's like, well, shit, I I need a. Let's say he had this Ford diesel that was a complete piece of shit he bought because he wanted to tow some equipment or something like that. Who knows? I don't even remember why he bought it. He buys this Ford piece of shit diesel. He's like, dude, it's like three grand or something, and it's like. And and I'm thinking like that seems way underpriced, but and it looks like he ends up buying it. And what he does is he he gets this thing, he basically cleans the whole thing out, throws some like black spray paint on the wheels, <laughs> armor all the tires, and then sells it for two grand more after he owned it for like a month or two. I will say I don't think I've ever lost on a vehicle, dude. He just, which is crazy. Most people lose the yeah. second they drive. I'll tell you, you buy a you find a deal, you get yourself a can of armor all. And uh, shine up some tires, and then you got yourself an Alex Andrews uh, re-up. Dude, especially know? here in Salt Lake or Utah, people are selling. Dude, if I had loot, that's where I'd be. I'd be on KSL buying dope. Buying shit. and selling. Yeah. People be, in Salt Lake have some loot, so maybe they sell, so they don't really just, care. They're sometimes like, people don't know what they have here, you yeah. know? And, you know, Lost in Space is a great example of that. You know, I mean, you got Mia going around and buying awesome furniture, and stoked for them because the, the stuff they're getting is amazing and so anyways the point is is that yeah you like it, i really enjoy it it's fun i don't know why i think the, the back to the lawnmower shop the old wheel and deal That's you know built into you from your dad yeah i figured it out because i realized this the same way with if it comes to dirt bikes or campers and and i think lee asked me one time she's like are you ever gonna be happy with your <laughs> camper or whatever like because it's been like an evolution all yeah. this right and i realized it's the thrill to hunt. Oh yeah, it's the thrill to hunt. Like 100%. I don't ever. You're never gonna get there. You're never like I have the thing. It's like, but the wheeling and the dealing, the thrill to hunt, the like look, the search, all of that. It's it's uh, you know, some people like it, some people don't. I personally, it's love funny it. you say that because I just came back from Montana from a, a ten day trip in the in my new van, the Sprinter that I built out, and I got back and I'm tearing the whole thing apart. Classic. <laughs> it's just like it's sick, but I'm like, all right, like. Next evolution of what the, I got to rebuild this thing, you know? I don't know. It just ne- it's never ending. You got to see the Frost Puppy with his van. He's like, he uh, his favorite thing in the world is show and tell. So you've experienced <laughs> it yesterday. I just experienced it yesterday, yeah. and it was great. He, uh, so for those of you guys who don't know the Frost Puppy, you guys, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have experienced double A 
show and tell. But he'll go up to the cabin. He's going to show you every little detail of it. I got this chair for 20 bucks. Uh, oh, my God, this is a rattlesnake. That uh, This is this. This is that. The van, he's, he just installed a new shower. Uh, the, and it's... And like he brings everybody, dude. You got to see the new shower. I got the you tour yesterday. See this thing, and yeah. he turns the shower on. And it's like, dude, you know, um, he, it, nobody's <laughs> asking to see the shower. For the record, nobody <laughs> wants to see the shower, but he's gonna make sure you see the shower. That's just double A show and tell. Look at all my look at look at my stuff. Yeah, it's a game changer in a ten day trip. Is what I learned yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe that's the only only child syndrome I got there. You know, was the old show and tell. Yeah, I grew up with a brother and a sister to show stuff to. Or <laughs> I didn't even have to talk about it. We just fought over it. You never had that. I'd have to have like a house party to do a show and tell. Yeah. You know, bring everyone mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Get it all done in one one swoop, just yeah. like a yeah, like a museum tour with like a host kind of thing. You yeah, know? I love the battle of the the campers. Uh, oh yeah, let's talk. about I like this. that you're 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 on. You're. It seems like you've been kind of hiding like what you want to do next. Like you know, oh, I have. I got something in the works. I know. I got something big in the works. But like I hear, I you know. It's like little birds. Your whispers, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, the Sprinter van for dirt bike camping purposes, functionally, is a great vehicle. Oh my! But the people, the people that drive them, I just can't stand. (laughs) So what I've laid it on, I'm too. They're too popular. There's too many granola eaters out there with the mountain die cuts on the side, and they're just you see yuppies everywhere in these Sprinter vans, and I just love making fun of them too much. And I've looked at them like, God damn it, that would be great. They're pretty great. But I'm I'm on some like I I just I'm too much of a stubborn prick to ever do this. So I've I've um, I'm basically building a, a cab camper for. It's essentially, uh, it's on a truck, so I don't have to, I can put a big old one less sticker, one less sprinter sticker on the back, and I can continue to make fun of these assholes. Are they making those stickers? (laughs) Yeah, Mouse has one on the back of his One less sprinter? Yeah, the the whole camp rig thing is, I mean, I won't lie, there are a lot of sprinters out there. But uh, there's like 10 in my neighborhood that never leave the driveway. <laughs> I see them at Seve, and I'm like, I never see this beyond Seve or yeah. their street. And I think they just go to Seve, show it off, go back home. Yeah. Well, if you're they listening, it. to me, it's been the best vehicle I've ever owned. I mean, you stand up in it, insulate them, heater, four-wheel drive. They'll show you all this stuff, too. Oh, if, you see them, if you see them, flag them down. He'll, he'll you want sell me to you sell it. you right now, I'll sell you. And I don't care who has them. I love it. The thing you know, I had a truck before at a Raptor, which was so sick, and I could rally the shit out of that thing. But three miles ago, Sprinter, yeah, I did get terrible gas mileage. But a Sprinter, you drive a little slower, you cruise, it rattles a little bit, but you can carry a lot of shit in there. And I like to carry a lot of shit: <laughs> surfboards, skateboards, mountain bikes, dirt bikes, girlfriend, all her stuff, <laughs> your stuff. You know, I feel like they're pretty comfortable for the girlfriends too. Oh they're yeah, pretty nice. I mean. You guys need I, to I you in the shower. You need guys need to simmer down on this. Dude, I don't know. I've gotten a lot of tours of Here's smoking jays, and his the Those chairs turn around. His dogs in the back, all comfortable. It just seems yeah. like a good life. Usually, yeah, when you're in, yeah, that one. There's usually a couple other things going there on. Is, yeah, that make it a good <laughs> make it good a, time. But you might you might be a little bit inebriated to where you're yeah. kind of not judgment is yeah. Not don't go properly. through the drawers in that in that thing. <laughs> so Tell one thing we the only solution I found because I hate the assholes that drive these things so much, is the only way I think it would work for me. I've talked about this before, but I'm going to say it again if you haven't heard it. Uh, the only solution that would ever work for me is I'd buy a sprinter, keep the wheels bone stock, uh, and then I would get a ladder, put it on the roof, uh, get some like plumbing, like tie it down on the roof, 
and then get a big old like Jim's plumbing die cut for the whole side. <laughs> that so, would you, be so you're like, wait, what the hell is this contractor doing way out here in the middle uh, of nowhere? Like and you, then you don't look like a granola eater, and you're you're able to you know roll your dirt bike in and have a bed. Meanwhile, you know? Grindy's is in that doing yoga and eating granola. Yeah, <laughs> I literally True. I do. Yeah, fit, like literally, I am a granola eater. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, throw me in there too. <laughs> Well, that's a great topic. What's wrong with, like, the camper, just a traditional camper that you drive, the mini ones? A lot of them don't have four-wheel drive. Ah, that's yeah, they just came out with one, but it has all-wheel. But, yeah, they're and they're big. They're big. The thing with the truck camper, I like them, just not for the activities I like to do. If I was, What's funny is Chris talks about the Sprinters as a granola rock climber vehicle, but what's crazy is I feel like the camper on the back of the truck is perfect for the rock climber granola person because you don't have to carry a bunch of because they got ropes and shit they're doing rock yeah climbing. yeah yeah but I'm saying like the sprinter you can actually like put surfboards on top or like whatever in the camper like they're in on the bed stuff's in on the bed they're like the camper's full you like get to your spot you gotta open up things are like flying out to even get inside the sprinter you're kind of just living in it yeah is an airstream dropping a sprinter style I, I heard that Maybe. just last week, actually, and it's probably going to be dope. Yeah. And uh, don't get me wrong. I love Chris's setup. It's dope. But I just. I love making topic. fun of Sprinter. So, all right, let's change gears here. So, uh, another thing we got to talk about is the Frost Pond. Uh, another, another the, the beginning of DIY, double A, same way. Uh, you basically got a skid steer, and you're like, I'm going to build a skate park in my backyard. You started just moving dirt around, and he ended up having the sickest backyard bowl ever. And again, I was like, there's no way this is going to work. <laughs> Nor did I. <laughs> and uh, that might have caused a divorce. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah, the froth pond. That So, bought my first house in Salt Lake. And, again, super inspired by some people building concrete stuff in their backyard that I saw. And... At the time, I was going through a little rough patch with the ex-wife, and we broke up. I just was like, all right. I, I, always, I had actually drawn it up on a computer, what I wanted to build in the backyard, and I called Cheeseburger. Shout out. Homie dropped off a skidster, and <laughs> I still was living with my lady at this point, but we were just having a rough patch, and I literally dug up the whole backyard in a day with the skitzer. Full tranny of dirt, like the whole thing. My neighbor came over, saw me, and yeah, I mean, at this point in time, not very many people had poured concrete in their backyard, a few handful of people. So I really didn't know what I was doing and went for it, and that's essentially, I mean, it was super cool. It was a really rad experience, and me and a lady at that point in time ended up working it out, my ex-lady. But, yeah, the skate park ended up in the back a huge. Like, it took up the whole backyard, basically. Mm-hmm. But that was cool because had so many people over skating and learned a lot from that. Had a ton of help from Ben and Ben Page and Zamora, Chip, you. So many friends helped out. And that was a cool experience and just, like, a testament that, that you don't always have to know what you're doing, but you just go for it, kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and learn along the way. And there was a lot of things I had to change during that. You know, I'd do something and then be like, okay, no, that's not how it works and redo it. So, And you since then sold your house. And how did that affect the resale value yeah, I was of just your house? Want, I was thinking that. How did that affect? Yeah, that's a big topic. It's no um, bueno, huh? Yeah. I, no, I, you did, I, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're good. I, uh, 
when I so I went to sell the house. That's a different story. But I, I my realtor, he's like, let's just be right up front about it. Like skate park in the back, you know. And I was like, yep. And actually, Jeremy at the time took the drone photos and whatnot. But yeah, I I ended up selling it and I sold it to a a, a younger couple. It was stoked and it it was fine. Honestly, they, it wasn't that Did they have plans to wreck the park, or they were hyped? They were no, keep it. They, it's still there, and they kept it. And they weren't, like, avid skateboarders, I wouldn't say, but they did skate. They do skate it, and I see that they skate it, and people go over there, and, yeah. So SLC market, pretty much but anything's I think gonna it, sell. You know, it's, yeah, true. Anything's going to sell, but also it's like Alex built a skate park in his backyard and sold his house just fine. So it's like I think that's a big argument. Yeah, and for there a was a lot of people. Is that, that a big worry? Da- people, oh, have? people were doubting me for sure on that, and I was like, no, it'll make it worth more money. You know, <laughs> it probably just like even they say swimming pools don't affect your your value. Yeah, it's one it's of those probably things a similar that, thing because you know, ten grand you can pull that thing out. That's what I was thinking. I, I mean, realistically, it's not that crazy to yeah. to break out and get rid of. So if you really wanted to, you could. Okay, another topic. Uh, we've been on DIY, and this kind of falls into DIY as well, but up at Brighton, it didn't start at Brighton, but there's a zone called the Bone Zone. Now, you are one of the chairman of the, of the unofficial board <laughs> oh, of the right. Bone Zone. You know, yourself, uh, Ted Borland, uh, I've had a small impact on that place, but you guys were kind of the gatekeepers for a long time amongst some other people. Now, let's just talk about the Bone Zone, what it is, where it came from, and and how it's kind of shaped early season snowboarding. Yeah. By the way, you didn't have a you didn't have a small impact on that place. Um, yeah, Bone Zone. It was again back to being influenced. You know, Jeremy and JP had the spot, and they were that was like a place you you know at that point in time you never you didn't go there. It's very private. Yeah, and the spot and, is, and a, I is, a, is a training yeah. facility in the woods with a bunch of rails. Yeah, early season. Yeah, up in Guardsman's Pass next to Brighton, and back in the day when it was when it was snow, early season, go up there and bring rails or whatever. Well, it started out with some rails, and then it kind of we started using logs and whatnot. And it actually moved from different zones to other zones, kind of to avoid the the Forest Service, um, but ultimately became like like a thing where people expected like. We're gonna go up there early season and train, and and it was cool. And we, I, I de- me and Ted, I don't know if this is just like it wasn't like thought out, but it, not anyone could just go, you know. And that was from the influence of Jeremy and JP in a way. Like, no, like you can't just roll up here and tread this. Like, this, you know, you got to put in work. You got to the whole deal. And so there was, there was definitely like a locals only vibe to it, which is awesome in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, especially, especially for the time. There was, like, we always had to kick people out and whatnot. We didn't allow skiers and the whole thing. But it was a cool time in in my snowboard. I I really enjoyed being there. Again, being up in the mountains, building things, seeing it to the end, then watching other people shred it and filming. It it also, I, I think, helped the snowboard community here a lot to just get ready for the winter and get together. And I mean, Dan Breezy would come up there and Stevie Bell and so many, so many people came up there to shred, which was cool. Cause at that point, like us, we were still at, at early stages of like flow riders or whatever. So to have these pros come up and shred with us was super cool. And another thing to run back to kind of talking about the locals only vibe. If you look at, you know, take, take BMX jumps, 
for example, I went with Seth Hewitt to watch these guys ride these trails here. Uh, and essentially you shovel for, you know, everybody shovels before they ride. And then when everybody's done shoveling, it's like, okay, we're going to ride this thing. And, and I think that for the average snowboarder, you show up to a park, it's, it's done. They strap in, they go down the park. Now the, for these DIY spaces, there's a lot of people that are like, I got vibed out there. I did. And, and that's a, from their experience, it is, it makes sense. You have every right to be upset if you got vibed out at a spot like that. But from your perspective or from people like I, I welded a lot of the rails, but you guys would go up months prior and be building things and clearing brush and, you know, making this place snowboardable and putting in hours and hours of effort, shoveling all the lips, building everything. And then all of a sudden it's time to snowboard. Everybody wants to show up and not even lift a shovel. And so like that, that aspect of like kind of locals only, like we built this shit, like this entitled, this extremely entitled, I think every generation becomes more and more entitled as, as we evolve but it sh- under shows up and they're like, this is fucking bullshit. I can't ride. It's like, well, dog, if you just came and picked up a shovel, you could ride as much as you want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. I, th- I think it also at that time, like shaped a lot of snowboarders, you know, um, to show them work ethic and also building your own stuff. At least for me, I like, I don't, I'm not good at rolling up on something that I don't really have my hands on, you know, and just being like, all good, you know, especially filming in the streets when we were, it's like, you didn't just roll up and, and hit the rail and like, didn't work. You know, you had, you knew what the lip looked like. And that's a lot of what you're going to with talking about with Seth and BMX and dirt jumps is you really got to feel, feel what you're doing and put in the works. So you, you're staring at it and you know what it, how it works, you know, going to the bone zone when, when, when you would actually help people and teach people to pick up a shovel and build something yourself, it went a long ways and they felt like they were actually a part of it. And that was important. And I still, to this day, think that people need to put in the work and, and show up, you know, and not just show up to ride or show up to even anything really in life. It's, it's about like putting in the work and starting at the ground level Mm -hmm. and learning from your peers and you know JP, Jeremy, Seth specifically too. They those guys really, really taught me how to. Dude, me and you were prospects. I don't remember, <laughs> but like oh, yeah. we were prospects, and it was tough, dude. It's like you wouldn't even snowboard all day. Just make you shovel, you know, make you move shit around. They give you guys prospect patches and all that. We yeah, never, I got one. I don't. I never got my patch. I don't think. Did yeah, me, did I? I don't know. I don't but remember. it was like hard when i say it was hard it was like you wanted to ride you know or like want to be but really it taught you like a longer lesson you know of how to put in the work and be patient and and yeah so the bone zone was really cool that way and and we had some really fun features up there and it was a good way to start the season filming you know to kind of get the flow of things so it was a it was a fun place and i miss it a lot and Definitely have thought about starting a secret one one day again, you know, because mm-hmm. I like this. Eventually, it turned into we had to move to Brighton because the Forest Service and it became like a public thing, which is awesome because I really wanted it to, to become something with even a rope tow and free and the whole deal preseason. But it, it's kind of cool to have something like secretive like that and put in the work in the summer and see it evolve. So I got a Patreon question for you. Yeah. And uh, once again, our Patreon members, we want to say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. We could not do this without you guys, and we really appreciate it. 
This mucho is from appreciation. Yeah, mucho, muchas gracias. Magic Narwhal. He is a uh, yeah. He sends us a lot of questions. He's a good good Patreon member. What gets you most frothed? <laughs> what was his name? Magic Narwhal. Magic Narwhal. Great question. I think what gets me most frothed is, you know, uh, probably being in the mountains with my friends, period. Just, I I love nowadays uh, backcountry snowboarding, touring, skinning, and that process of climbing the mountain with your buds, shredding down, that's on a good powder day. Nothing gets me more stoked than that, probably. Solid answer. Great answer. I like going up just as much as going down lately. I I just started, I'm new to the game. Yeah. Quality over quantity. That's how I look at splitboarding. You know, it's a, you're taking it all in from the start to the end. So. It's a good time. Beautiful. Well, I think it might be time to segue into one of our favorite segments, Mm. which is. Welcome to the liquid death. Death, death, death. Spinning wheel of death. <laughs> I'll tell you what, buds. I have not been crushing as many licky D's. I haven't either. As I've been I normally that do. Pub beer, but damn, this liquid death is good. I'll tell you on a nice hot day, nothing goes down like a liquid death. I you agree. Know? It's just beautiful. You're getting hydrated. You're uh, supporting a great brand. And you're not contributing to the plastic waste that's going on. Yeah, ten percent of uh, they donate ten percent of every sale to uh, the death of plastic and helping pollution. You're supporting a good cause. You're getting hydrated, and uh, another good thing, you're not going to get a DUI. You can drink it if you're pregnant. And uh, when you're driving around drinking one of these, you kind of look like an alcoholic because people think you're drinking in the middle of the day. So that's a that's a huge plus. That's as, a huge as far plus. as I'm concerned. Uh, now, <clears throat> if you want to support the bomb hole. And also get yourself some Liquid Death. Head on over to liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. You'll get yourself a couple of koozies. We get a little support. And uh, just a great way to support the show and also stay hydrated. So this week on the Liquid Death Spinning Wheel of Death, we have some great, great options. Um, Bud's wrote these. His handwriting is horrific. I might have to read it for you. So we might need to... Uh, it's like a, you it's like a different a, language. You might need a, a cipher. Dude. We'll face it towards you so you after, can... After I can't s- read my handwriting. What are you talking about, dude? Dude, after seeing Bob get the shot color in the neck, I was honestly terrified of this thing. All right, well, I'm going to hold the bottom and then just give it a big old spin. Oh, I don't yeah, get give to it. see it. No. Oh, wow. You couldn't read what I wrote on there anyways. So just rip it, huh? Rip it. Good spin. Good spin. Big money. Blind foot race. Oh, yeah. We're going to do, uh, for this week's episode, we're going to do a blindfolded foot race. <laughs> You're going to race Chris. Both of you blind. We thought of this this morning. No, what's great is uh, I'm literally in top physical condition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but Shout can you can you do it blind? Yeah. Yeah. You, each of you will have someone to help guide you with sound. Damn, that's heavy. Buds, you gonna be my ears? I'll be your ears, okay. and we're gonna get Drake or okay. Tucker to be your ears. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Okay. All right, let's head outside and do yeah, let's this. Go outside. Three, two, one, go. We gotta win! Huge win! The big win! So, uh, Alex, why don't you explain what happened out there <laughs> in the foot race, blindfolded? Uh, I went in full confidence. Mm-hmm. He said that I was gonna lose. 
and absolutely blew it. You kind of unraveled out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I committed to a full sprint, um, you know, full athlete, back straight, just kind of like long strides. <sighs> he looked like he was like uh, stepping through a puddle for the entire, like he was going to run into a wall the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll have to zoom in and actually like go a slow-mo frame by frame because it was almost like... Yeah, you were, you were like uh, walking through mud, or you didn't want to get the bottom of your pants wet or something. <laughs> you got him twice as you went twice as fast. You, as you looked like you were about eighty five years old. I'll give it to you. You absolutely annihilated me. But in my defense, not that you didn't have this factor, but I I've felt vertigo. Okay, uh, I couldn't I couldn't see shit, dude. You felt vertigo, dude. I literally like. You think you know where you're running to, but you don't. You don't. I'll and tell you're what, running. Like it's the, different if you're walking. The trust you exercise. Know? Me and Buds. He trusted where my voice was, and we. I just. I was. He knows I'm not going to let him run yeah. into a, a pothole or a trip into a sprinter van. Here's something. the bomb hole. We're all about. Tr- you know what trust. though? I I needed to boost your ego, yeah, so I kind of absolutely. I needed a win. I needed that bad. <laughs> I was zero two in the last foot races. Now I'm riding high. <laughs> the kid's back. Yeah, that's a good one though. You should, next time, uh, maybe some obstacles. That would mm. really throw like it blindfolded off. parkour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Folded parkour. <laughs> that sounds great. New sport. Okay, let's get into a fan favorite. Good old-fashioned hot takes. Mm. We like to always start with who is the MJ of snowboarding, both male and female. Or you can replace that with goat if you don't like the MJ take. Oh, wow. Okay. MJ of snowboarding. I'm going to have a multifaceted answer. So Go ahead. I... Obviously, later in my years, I love Craig Kelly. I'm a big fan. R.I.P. Um, you know, Noah Slaznik, people like that. But for my generation, and for me personally, it's Jeremy Jones. Is the MJ of snowboarding. He did it all. Backcountry, rails, the whole deal. Also, just a great human, family man. Just also, He's gnarly, but... Like, caring you know so jeremy but today i have a another answer oh here we go so you get three-part answer yes I, I, yeah we'll, we can talk about this but i'm gonna say pat moore pat moore is wait you just flipped off of jeremy onto pat he said he's doing different time time yeah errors. like oh, i kind of okay. went like you know craig kelly because you're just going to name everyone that ever okay. inspired you over the past 30 years, 20, yeah, yeah. 25 Let's years. Let's hear why, though. I want to hear the reasons. Well, Pat Pat Moore, he's done it a long time, you know, and he's an amazing snowboarder. He's savage in the backcountry. He's done rails. He's done it all, but he just continues. He gives back to snowboarding heavily, which I really appreciate. He does the risk maturity, miss, sorry, risk maturity classes at Bald Face to help you know, people in the industry get educated in the backcountry. He has the methodology contest and donates those funds to getting kids into snowboarding. He just does, he pours his heart and soul into snowboarding. He's also really good at it. And so to me, he's the MJ currently of snowboarding. And I think Pat Moore is just a really good person. So yeah, Pat Moore. And then female, I'll just say MFR. Marie Francois. Yeah. Yeah, great answer. She's dope. Okay. Um, if you had a Hollywood actor play your role in life, who would it be? <laughs> Owen Wilson, Wedding Crashers, or Meet the Parents. You know how he's like the boyfriend or whatever. 
I think that's the wrong answer. I think that's okay. the wrong answer too. I'm going D. Schneider. <laughs> He's not a Hollywood actor. <laughs> oh. He lived, probably lives in Hollywood. You, you did make a, a whatever that is like a side change by that side. tape look like when you used yeah. to have your long hair. You looked like D. Schneider. Yeah, I'm and going Stewie Family Guy. Sorry. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'd let him play your role. Yeah. The okay. one the one thing with D. Schneider really quick is that uh, I only have one karaoke song and mm-hmm. it's Twisted Sister. I want to rock, but you I re- have that. But I replace rock with froth. Oh, I okay. Froth. I, I want a froth. Okay, I hate that. No. That's great. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> That's a hard voice Yo, I'll to tell get you, you, karaoke, you, though. You, wow. You go Halloween costume, you throw on the fucking wig, nine times out of ten, you're you're going to win Halloween. <laughs> if you go, you know, Twisted Sister. Yeah. Have you done that yet? No. You're welcome. That's a crazy yeah, costume, too. That's a good one. <laughs> Please do that this Halloween. Yeah. Uh, we need that. Just don't be so selfish. Do it for us. So, you know, think about the people that need that yeah. Halloween costume. The wild outfit. Copy that. Um, okay. You know, we talk about it a lot in the show. The lift line. There's a lot of people that like to flex the good old-fashioned beaver slap. Now, uh, what's your take on slapping a little beave in the lift line with your snowboard? I do it, but not out of uh, look at me. Just straight up like most people, get snow off your deck. It's a soft slap? Soft slap. Mm. Kind of a tasteful beaver slap. If yeah, you tasteful okay. beaver slap. I'm usually shredding absurdly deep neige okay. snow for layman's. Uh, it's French for snow. Usually like froth. Is that it. French for snow? Yeah, yeah, neige means snow. That's where that came French. from. Yeah, deep yeah. neige. Uh, I'm usually like froth, you know, frothing, so I got to get the, the fresh off my deck. Okay, where's trended snowboarding? What you got? Rolled up pants over the boots, followed by crowded resorts. Okay. But I like that people are going out. It's just it's just crowded. Just hard to deal with, huh? Yeah. Now, earlier you mentioned uh, risk maturity class, which is kind of an avalanche mitigation, backcountry safety, however you want to call it. Now, I know that you have been um, – in the avalanche with Jeremy Jones, you were a part of that day where he almost lost his life. We've covered that in detail on Seth Hewitt's episode, Jeremy Jones's episode. I don't think we need to go through the whole story of that. But um, since then, you've gotten like ton, done tons of risk mitigation classes. Um, I guess what I'm asking is like, what was your biggest takeaway from that experience and what did you learn? Yeah, that... Um that day with Jeremy, Seth, the squad, was hands down the worst day of my life. Worst day of my life, but learned the most. Um, never, ever want to go through anything like that again. Seeing, and you know, you know the story. Seth told it perfectly, and, uh, you know, he relayed it perfectly. But it was by far the worst day. And to see your childhood idol, hero, best friend, almost die is, uh, will, will change you as a person. And from that day on, first of all, from that day, I, I, I learned a lot about myself and how to deal with something like that and did my best. You know, it, it, when you're in that moment, it, it really, you, you really shine through your true colors, you know, and we had a really good crew and, and, you know, no one died. So we made it out alive and, we made bad decisions and we made good decisions. And what I took from that is I, you know, with my snowboarding going from, you know, riding rails and film parts and things like that, more street focused, I guess, is the evolution is I want to, I want to ride in the backcountry. That's where I, my, my per- personal progression of snowboarding is going. I like 
adventuring in the mountains and that I I'm addicted to it honestly I, it's like I like reading maps and exploring new zones and nature and getting out there and I like the effort you have to put in for it and then the benefit of surfing the earth but to answer your question I you know since I had avalanche education before that but not it's almost never ending. You know, you constantly need to educate yourself going into the backcountry, and you're constantly learning what to have, how to react, everything. Read, read terrain, read snow conditions, be prepared, all these things. And that day has pushed me to do that consistently. And, you know, started out with um, the next thing I did was the risk maturity course at Bald Face that Jeff Pensiero and – Pat Moore put on, which is amazing because it's really geared towards what we like to do. Um, and I learned a lot from that, and I've gone three years now. I didn't go last year because of COVID, but, yeah, three years, and every time, you know, you're just constantly learning. And then I also, you know, got in, and I did a, a woofer class, wilderness first aid. I, uh, I did woofa, but there's woofer, wilderness first aid responder. I want to do that one next. But, you know, learning how to handle injuries and, and those things. Because when that happened to Jeremy, I, you know, I really didn't know how to assess him. You know, he was, and I'll swear, but he was fucked up, you know. And and I didn't, you know, I knew he had broken legs and stuff, which, you know, you could splint and things. But bleeding internally, whatever it may be, there's major things that could be happening. And so to take the time to learn those trades makes you more confident in the backcountry and also makes you uh, makes you have better decision-making. And also crew. Crew is huge in, in these types of things. And we had a good crew that day, and I still continue to, like when I go in the backcountry, I have a crew. And they're people that know what they're doing. They're people that have education and you trust with your life because you need to. And we're all doing it for fun, but it can get serious really fast. So, yeah. so the people thinking about backcountry riding, getting familiar, they got a split board, they want to get out there. What advice do you have for those people? Start small. You know, I think, you know, split boarding at the resort, even, you know, learning, just learning your gear, then, well, that, first of all, getting educated, <coughs> avalanche education, 100%. <coughs> going to a course and learning from professionals how to read. Uh, snow reports, the everything that goes into going out before the day for avalanche mitigation and knowing what you're getting into. I see a lot of people now getting into split boarding and things that, <laughs> I'm going to say this, this might trigger some people, that might not know how to snowboard that well. Yeah. And Schema. Yeah, and it's like, dude, that can be a factor out there, you know, if you don't know how to ski or snowboard that well and you're out on and you climb to the top of a mountain because it's, it's not that hard to climb to the top of the mountain if you got energy, but then they don't really know how to uh, navigate terrain or they don't know that there's riding above you and you're climbing up or whatever. So really like first learning how to ride your snowboard or skis and then avalanche and then really your gear, mm -hmm. making sure you have the right gear, knowing how to use it, practicing and constantly evolving that stuff. Cause it, like I said, it really is never ending. You never have like, you're never like, I've got it so dialed that not, you know, it, it just always learning and taking it in. One thing I'd like to add to that is a lot of times when you're 
snowboarding, a big indicator I see, especially around the resort, is people look and they say, oh, there's tracks on that. That's safe, right? That's a huge... Now, the, the main effect of when you go to an avalanche course is it scares the shit out of you. Yeah. And you are just like, you really start tiptoeing around with extreme caution around the mountains, which is a, what we need. Less people dying, less people getting buried. Um, and uh, take a goddamn course. Yeah. And I feel super lucky because before Jeremy's, I still was, I was out in the backcountry a lot, Brighton, building jumps. And I've got a few stories. I've gotten in a couple avalanches that, mm-hmm. you know, buried me partially. And, it was all fun and games, like whatever, but it could have been really serious. And I was naive for a long time to, oh, I got a transceiver. Like, I'm good. Like, let's just go out. But, you know, Jeremy's that day, I mean, <laughs> you never want to see that or hear that or be a part of that in person. I can guarantee you that. It's, it is, I mean, the day, I, the next day I went to the hospital to visit him and, <laughs> I couldn't stop crying when mm-hmm. I was talking to him, you know, and he was just like, dude, you're okay. You're okay. Like, and I, w- I wasn't okay. I was like, man, I should have been more knowledgeable and, and made better decisions, you know, cause I was a factor in why that happened, whether, our, you know, like we were all in it, but like I made the decision to go ride that thing and he came along and we talked about it and it, you know, we, it's, it was on me too. You know, mm-hmm. and so it was a big, big day for me to like suck down, and and from there, you know, I'm super happy that he, he's alive and the other people involved. But I really am taking it more seriously, mm-hmm. and and it's a good thing, and it does scare you, and and I've backed down many times now, mm-hmm. been like this ain't this isn't the day, you know, or I've had to speak up and in a crowd of people that I might not know and say, no, I'm not comfortable with this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And other people I have with me. And now I know how to take that, you know, and say like, oh, this person's not comfortable. I might even be more comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. but having that experience, cause it, it, but in the end, it's made me more confident in what I want to do, you know, and, and exploring the mountains and not give up and not be like, oh, that was the, it was the worst thing ever. Like, I don't ever want to do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just made me want to be more proficient and better at it. You know, now, I have, I have a two part question. Uh, a, why did you make the switch from park kid riding hand, handrail kid, street kid to full blown backcountry <laughs> granola, eater. granola eater with a sprinter van. And part two of my question is, do you think you turned your back on the cold heart steel? <laughs> oh, question um i haven't turned my back on the on the the cold steel i actually i got out this uh last winter with mikey and jordan mendenhall was there super sick and we were grinding a picnic table i did hit the handrail i love jibbing i like going to woodward i love cruising the park i just my personal progression it it kind of goes in a couple different ways because i love mountain biking and i love being physical and exercise and I like to be healthy as much as I can and split boarding backcountry snowboarding involves a lot of that. It takes a lot of effort. You know, like I was telling you quality over quantity, you have to work hard to get that one run, but that one run means more to you than just lapping the resort. And I love lapping the resort, my friends, but these days it's just getting 
so crowded and the red snake going up the canyon, the whole deal, you know, of, of that process. And splitboarding is that escape where you can take in the environment. And I love the process of getting ready for it. My bag packed, lunch and water and your gear and double check, waking up early. And, and yeah, that one run that you take, it just means more. And, and I also, like I was saying, I, I like the exploration part of it. And with street snowboarding, that used to be a thing, honestly. You know, I, to this day, I'll never stop looking for spots. I'm constantly, like, I'm never going to hit it, probably. But I love, you know, give Dustbox my phone number. I got some photos, man, you know. But I, like, I I like the exploration of splitboarding. And I want to continue to do that. And it's something I can do with my girlfriend. And, and yeah, so... To me, it's it's kind of the future for me personally. So. Solid answer. Now, <clears throat> I, I wanted to kind of dive into a whole another topic here of we'll call this we'll call this topic life shakeups because uh, you made some major major changes in your life where you were <clears throat> with Burton as a rider all the way from rep rider to pro team to froth. Uh, <laughs> Stoker International. I don't know what that job title is. Nobody does. Froth International. Froth International spreader uh. to team manager. And Burton was your little comfort nest egg. And then you ended up moving, which we'll get into, uh, to Wonder Alpine, which is an awesome, sustainable story. And then all while that's happening, you went through a divorce. And um, I just kind of want to kind of like, you know, basically talk about, you know, uh, that that whole process of your life and the and the transition there. Yeah, so Burton definitely was. It, it's been home for me for the last twelve years. I got, you know, officially signed to Burton when I was like twenty one, and until this May, I, I've been with Burton. And whether that was a pro rider, like you said, or working for them, team manager, uh, that was home and my family. And you know what, I. <laughs> Can't give enough love to Burton for that. I mean, Jake, the, the whole family, George, Tim, Taylor, Donna, and also just like the people involved, JG and all these people that work there have shaped who I am and put a roof over my head. And I, I mean, I, I'm so grateful for Burton because sometimes you can look at things in a negative way, but I don't. I'm looking at it like, dang, I got to work and ride for Burton snowboards for 12 years. Like, hell yeah, that's so sick. I had so many amazing experiences, built so many friendships and relationships. Like, I, I, I love everyone there uh, still to this day. And and ended when I've got, when we can talk about it, but when I got the new job, I it was cool because I, I feel like I ended that relationship for now at, at a good point. You know, there was no animosity or anything. I just needed a change in my life and my career and had a cool opportunity, but yeah, last year, all of us went through a tough time during COVID, everyone, and me personally, it was one of those years where just things kept piling on, COVID, furloughed from Burton, no job, me and Trevor started Blue Collar Boys, cleaning gutters, and doing whatever, which was awesome, but uh, that ended in a divorce from my 10-year relationship of my wife at the time, which was really hard, and also another mutual agreement. Yeah. Uh, 
but nothing easy to go through, you know, and it's hard when you've spent that much time with someone and you care for them and I still care for her and, and we have a good relationship, but it's just not meant to be, you know, and people change and, you know, things happen, but I gave it my all and so did she and we kind of just came down to like, this, this isn't working and that's okay. We need to, we need to move on, but it was not easy. And then at the same point, I mean, I was getting audited by the IRS. I'm still getting audited. But, yeah, it was a tough year, you know. But I, I was looking for some major changes, and um, I ended up being a team manager at Burton's after I got furloughed um, alongside Pat Dodge, and that was a really cool experience. I loved working with that crew. I had I got to go on backcountry shoots and go on street missions again, which was super fun, and help you know, some of those riders log clips and whatnot. So that was rad. But the job for me kind of had a, a glass – or sorry, it, it had a ceiling. Like I just – where where would I go from here? Um, I like what I'm doing, but as you know, I like challenges and want to push myself. So I personally think the story of Wonder is super interesting. You should explain, like, what they are, who owns them, and, and what you guys do. Yeah, so I, I transitioned from Burton to Wonder Alpine, and they're a Salt Lake City-based company. Super dope. Uh, it, it's, it's been a really cool experience to get involved with a company like this, especially from Salt Lake. I'll break down what Wonder is. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy because it's a lot of science and things like that. We're reinventing materials, uh, algae-based. It's super cool, and it's a much bigger picture than just skis and snowboards. So... Yeah, Wonder Alpine is the is is owned by Checker Spot, and they're the same thing. It's just the brand of Checker Spot. Checker Spot is based in Alameda, California, in Oakland. It's a biotech company, and they are revolutionizing bioengineering and reinventing the way that we look at materials and how they're made and used in products. And it's super super cool. And honestly, it's taken my taken some time for me to wrap my head around it. And I'm still pretty new. You know, I started in May. But they, they, they're they able to take microalgae, which is not macroalgae, like seaweed and stuff like that. It's not that. It's microbes. So, for instance, found in drains or, like, I mean, there's hundreds of different strains of microbes. And doctor this stuff up and make an oil. And most products nowadays are made out of oil. Pretty much everything is made out of oil, crude oil, petroleum. And so microalgae, we're able to make it into an oil. And this oil can be made into a polymer, polymer. And that's what we're using in the skis and snowboards is we're pouring in the PU sidewalls, cast sidewalls. We're using it for foam, uh, like stringers and things like that in the skis and snowboards. And it's fully renewable. But the bigger picture is to, like, change how people make products with materials and not sacrifice performance for sustainability. And a lot of people think of sustainability as you think it's like eco-sustainable that you're sacrificing performance. And with this, this is not the case. I actually, maybe I should show some stuff. Oh, we got a little show and tell going. Yeah, Classic. a little show and tell. Kid loves show and tell. Yeah, here we yeah. go. Well, let's hit some show yeah. and tell. So <clears throat> this is a poly, poly cast sidewall. Yep. Um, these are like prototypes of, but you know, you can see it's like flexi bendy. These mm -hmm. ones are hard. 
But this is made out of microalgae, just mm-hmm. straight up fermentation. They take little tiny <laughs> microalgae microbes, feed them sugar, kind of like beer, ferment it. They get shit, so they get shit faced. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Ferment it, and and it and it it grows into like a paste, and then they squeeze that, kind of like olive oil or anything, and get an oil out of it. These these oils, this is just really one strain of oil, and there's hundreds that could be made. And so, you know, for people to adopt this and put it in other products is really what we want to do. And so with skiing and snowboarding, it's a way to show that it, it's a performance enhancement because you can change the density, you can change a lot of things where when we're building products nowadays, we're limited to what we can buy. We're all using the same stuff, essentially. Well, also explain why the glues and the sidewalls on an average snowboard are bad for the environment comparatively. Yeah. So yeah, in snowboards and skis, um, sidewalls, uh, you know, the resin, everything from, you know, epoxy and all these things, it's, it's bad for the environment because it is made from crude oil. Mm -hmm. So anything pretty much plastic these days is made from crude oil. And that's what we're developing right now is changing the way that we are making materials out of a renewable resource and we're putting them in skis and snowboards right now, but we're working on using it as a wicking material. We're working on using it as a, um, like a, um, a food uh, for food. You can use it for food. You can eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of the sky's the limit, but with us, we're really using it to show our products and it performance that they, they are performance enhancements, you know, mm-hmm. and we, Hopefully people will adopt it, you know, and we can use it in other brands and things like this. But Wonder Alpine has been a really cool project for me because I'm, I'm starting the snowboard side of things because they've been making skis. So then being backcountry focused, it's been cool because I've been able to develop split boards, just went to Mount Hood. I made four snowboards with the guidance of some people, but I've literally made them myself. And learning that process is amazing. And building something and trying it and also you know these are it so we have like material science we have fabrication and we're taking all these things and putting them together to develop the best products we can mm-hmm. with you know with materials that are Sust- sustainable so I, yeah i yeah sustainable is like the word i like to use but it's more than that, you yeah. know. So. You guys are reinventing the wheel and uh, you're growing it in new. a lab instead yeah. of taking yeah. crude oil out of the ground and then yeah, it, creating it, greenhouse gases like it does. And it, honestly, it's been really cool and overwhelming in ways because it's just it's so like it was so above my head for a minute. It sounds simple, but really like the sky's the limit with this yeah. stuff, you know. And so I'm trying to just hone in on making the best snowboards. I can. Yeah. And I'll come out with those next year. And we're taking our time to work on those so that mm-hmm. we can perfect them and, and really come out with a good product and not rush it. So I've been testing and developing a lot of stuff, um, trying different types of materials, layups, the whole nine. And it's a fun project and mm-hmm. really, really cool opportunity for me. And that's where I was saying, like, you know, I have this opportunity now. It's kind of a glass ceiling where, like, I can, like, yeah, break through. And, the sky's and the limit. The sky's the limit, you know. So, yeah, it's been rad. Yeah, this is one of our prototypes. I just painted these graphics. They're just prototype graphics. But this sidewall's all <clears throat> our cast urethane. 
PU sidewall, and then there's foam stringers all made out of microalgae, and there's a split board back there. But yeah, we we pour it in into the channels, and that's kind of a new thing. So because most people you buy sidewalls and then yeah, they come separately and, and yeah, they put them all together. Yeah, there's a lot of the one thing I think is really cool too is I, I always feel like a company is comprised of who works for it. Now Sturbins, mm -hmm. who's the GM, um, he is the guy we go camping with, hang out with. He's awesome. You got Mouse who came up on the show. He's a fabricator. Yeah. Um, Pep Fuha seems like the man. I don't know him well, but I, I checked out the offices. Actually, when we were looking for a podcast space, I went down to where you guys' zone is and, and checked it out. And just got to see everything. And it's just cool seeing people make boards here in Utah. And they got the marketing office. And it's just, uh seems like it fills a good void for what people are looking for in, in the snowboard world. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it, we're a small, we're small right now, you mm -hmm. know, and we're just starting out. But one of the coolest things has been not only working with friends and people I know, we have a great crew down there and in Salt Lake building something amazing. But we're working with scientists, mm -hmm. which I never thought in my career i'd be working with like legit scientists who are making microalgae into material you mm -hmm. know and that's been really cool i went my first day on the job i went to san francisco or to oakland almeda and went to the to the lab and saw how they do this and it is mind-blowing and mm -hmm. it's also just really eye-opening the biggest thing is adoption you know we have crude oil petroleum that's running everything right now because of money and all that, but that that's a limited resource. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's really rad about what we're doing is it does have a bigger picture in the end. And, and we're using skis and snowboards to tell that story right now. But I, I would love to see it become something that is normal, you know, and, and adopted in other products, which would be awesome. And, yeah, that experience was cool to go see that. And I, I learned a lot. I'm still learning a lot about it. And, uh, yeah, microalgae for the win on that one. It's, it's cool shit. And getting these people together, innovators, thinkers, it really ties back to where I come from. It's just like trying, trying things and going for it. And it's a great place to throw shit at a wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we constantly do that, you know? So it, it's a really, really cool opportunity and job for me right now. Do you and make top sheets out of microalgae? Look, at, working on it, yeah. It seems like that's like a plastic. We're not right now, yeah. but it's definitely like a topic. That would be cool. Yeah. Right now we're trying to figure out some ways to make boot plates and skis, which are where the bindings mount. Okay. Um, there's a there's a bunch of stuff we're working on, but it just takes time. Yeah. You know, it Every takes product. time for developing and and. Like I said, this isn't at a mass scale yet, so we're, that's kind of how we're, it's not that we're trying, you know, we want to get to a mass scale, but we have to figure out how to do this on our own so we can show people. Because if you're just shopping around oil, saying like, look, you can do whatever with it, but not actually have physical product. Yeah, you need the products. Yeah. You need to see it. You need to see the applications in work in real life situations. Yeah, and also show that they're durable and, mm -hmm. you know, you can have performance without sacrificing. So our thing's algae and petroleum out, but... Yeah, it's it's gonna be a fun fun road to go down, and like I said, I'm just starting, but got some boards made, been testing them with the hood, and cool, and yeah. Well, so. I think we should change gears because we've been we've been cranking away. Um, 
couple more topics just before we wrap this thing up. Um, one thing I think is really cool, you know, we touched briefly. You went through uh, a divorce with your 10-year relationship with Dee. She's a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Now, no hard feelings, but, you know, it seemed like your your Burton was your comfort zone. You kind of, and then all of a sudden, all these life shakeups happen. You're out of your comfort zone, new job, totally different set of circumstances. And then you found your new partner, Elle, who's a complete sweetheart as well she rules um and uh it's just kind of cool how how that worked out i feel like right yeah and again ties back to putting good energy out there you know and trying in your darkest of times even just thinking positively and trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel um yeah i (laughs) l is l is the baddest l is the best person in the world literally like i it's amazing that we've reconnected. I grew up with her when I was younger. We were friends from a young age, and then I didn't talk to her for like 10 years. Going I gotta give her a quick air horn. Yeah, I was on go, the wrong yeah. soundboard. Sorry about that. You were quick on that. That was Lo- good. <laughs> Love you, Elle. She's, she's more badass than me, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but, yeah, we I didn't talk to her for a really, 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 really long time, like 10-plus years, and when I was going through the hard time with the divorce and job loss, you know, and all these things, she ended up just randomly reaching out to me and just saying hi. And I hadn't talked to her in a long time. And we we connected, and it's been a year now of we, we ended up getting together, and and she's an amazing musician. She just released an album. You guys should check it out. It's, it's, she's incredible. She's going to make – she's going to, like, it's blow the doors off yeah, type she's music. super talented person, not only music – uh, musically, but art, and she's a really good snowboarder, just an amazing person, caring. Um, she's been so supportive of me, which is I'm really grateful for. And, you know, it's just cool because I, <laughs> you know, Trevor actually says to me the other day, he's like, you d- you deserve Al, you know, and it felt good for him to say that because it's like I, I do feel f- really good with her you know she seems like your soulmate kind of person yeah it's like soulmate type shit and so that's cool but check her album out it's called el and the echo she just released it she's an amazing human and i love her so shout out to el but yeah those those times when you're going through something hard and you don't know what the end is is just try to find the positive and and honestly with el is crazy because i've I, I don't know, just putting that energy out there. Like, what do you want? Like, what are you dreaming, you know? And it, it could have been her. Like, I was thinking about her, you know, mm-hmm. but she just kind of came out of the woodwork in a way, you know, and, a, and it's just like, really, right now this is crazy. I just got a divorce, and I'm going through a hard time, and I do feel. It seems like a bit of, of a divine intervention there. Yeah. yeah was, your darkest was, moment can actually turn on you and become the right moment. Yeah. The yeah. divorce happened for a reason. Yeah, for sure. And there she so, was. Yeah, we, we she lives with me now and we spend a ton of time together and and it's been an amazing, amazing transition for me to have that person in my life, you know, that's supportive and and we like the same a lot of the same things and you know, so it's it's I'm super grateful for her. Beautiful. Do you wanna throw any uh thank yous out? Yeah, thank you guys. Much First and foremost, Chris appreciate it. Thank you for all you've done for me and Freedom Frontier and being a good friend. Um, thank all my good homies. You know who you are. Parents, most first and foremost, they're they're the rock. L, thank you. And then um, 
yeah, thanks to Matt and the crew at Wonder Alpine for giving me a new opportunity. That's I'm really stoked on that. It's a it's a new beginning, and I'm learning a lot, and they're being patient with me, you know, and so that's cool. And um, thanks to the snowboard community. I wouldn't be here without everyone that has supported me ever, you know, and Jeremy specifically. Like, he really gave me my start and has always had my back to this day. We work out with him a couple times a week, and he's still, like, a huge inspiration for me to this day. So, yeah, thank you guys, and... Well, I have one last little nugget um, from the man you just spoke of, from Mr. Jeremy Jones himself. Here we go. What it is, the bomb hole. Al, lipstick, double A, double A the same way. The froth puppy, not my favorite. But I love you. I love it. It suits you. Hey, don't even have a question. I just wanted to call and let you know let everyone know listening how much I respect you how much you leveled up Uh, you were my kind of son a little bit and you kind of became my little brother then you're my homie right next to me Uh, we've almost died together a few times mad respect dude I love you to pieces I gotta keep this at 45 seconds peace fuck dude (laughs) that was nice why? I wasn't, wasn't trying to cry on the show. <laughs> oh, dude. Good man right there. Jay Jones. Oh, dude. I love that guy so much. It's just like one of those things that you're like, as a kid, he was just such a superhero. And for him to like say that right now, it's crazy. I can't believe I'm crying right now. That's all right. We cry all the time on this show. Yeah, this is a uh, safe place, we like to say. He's, he's like... You're making me tear up just dude, looking at you, he's like dog. the fucking... He's so gnarly, dude. He's the sickest dude ever, you know? So, it's cool. I I just can't believe that I'm, like, friends with him, you know? And, um, yeah, I'll stop crying. Ugh. Yeah, he's... He's an amazing he's, human. He's... <laughs> man he is like a brother to me you know the brother i never had and for it to be jeremy jones is pretty crazy man you know so thank you jeremy appreciate that and um can't wait to continue living this life you know ripping by your side so what's up he doesn't like the froth puppy nickname oh i don't know yeah he's (laughs) not he's a cold he's a cold steel yeah. Till he dies, dude, you know? <laughs> he loves the steel. <laughs> he, he does have a love affair with the steel that yeah, goes man. deep. Yeah. Well, I just want to say to you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. To everybody that's listened to the show, bought a piece of merch, supported the Patreon. Thank you, guys. And for the outro song this week, we're going to leave you with one of L's beautiful songs off her album. Sick. We appreciate you guys, and we will see you next week over and out from the bomb hole. Thank you. I got fire in my soul. I got fire, fire, fire in my soul. I may come off as a mask that's me at my best. I got fire, hellfire in my soul. Life is too damn short. Keep on crying. Desert's too fucking hot.
acted tough, said bye.